1: And the future is bright indeed. So we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Hey there, Star Wars fans. Happy New Year 2020. And welcome back to Star Wars The Saga Continues, your podcast for all the latest news, rumors, and updates on all the cool and exciting uh, projects coming in the future of the Star Wars universe. Um, And we can't even say Episode 9 and all the upcoming stuff because that is behind us now um but of course we've got plenty more to talk about that on this episode um specifically in regards to uh some of the comments we got from you guys about it last time um and lots more cool Star Wars stuff to talk about to kick off the year so as always I'm your host Kyle and I've got my co-host Tim and Paul with me how's it going guys
2: what's up guys we're ready to start this new era of Star Wars beyond the sequel trilogy as you said Kyle it is weird now that can't say episode seven, episode eight, episode nine is the stuff we're going to cover anymore because we covered it, and now we're moving on. Might even have to update our Twitter and Facebook profiles descriptions that we have on there because it's going to be out of date. But I'm excited to not only just get into this new era of Star Wars with this new year, of stuff we got to look forward to, but talking about it with you guys as well. So it's always a good time.
0: Use guys. use guys. <laughs> I like that, Tim. That was good. No, I. here's the thing are we ever not going to cover these films? We're still talking about the prequels and the original trilogy. So I think if, if anything, I think the sequel trilogy is, is going to be something we discuss forever and for a lot of different reasons. And I think, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about the new year because it's, as we know, there's not really going to be no new star Wars because we'll obviously have the books. Well, the books have been not really, really great, but the comic books have been pretty good. I think, We've got tons of TV shows to look forward to, and we've got new projects. And I mean, there's there may not be a new film coming out, but Star Wars has already got w- tons and tons of stuff going on. So I, yeah, the saga is going to continue for sure, and you know, so mm-hmm. it, we, we got we got plenty of stuff. But even 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 though the sequel trilogy has wrapped, we still will talk about these movies forever because there's always going to be new things coming up. And especially with Rise of Skywalker and all the, all the things that Kyle hates the movie for, which is not explaining every single detail. Oh, come on. <laughs> I, I, I had to get a dig in. Yeah, you next thing you're going to
1: put your obligatory dig at Ryan Johnson. Wait for it.
0: Well, <laughs> you're not wrong. But what I'm saying is, is that there is a lot. When we get this new canon material explaining the things in Rise of Skywalker, which I hope if they're smart, they really capitalize on it sooner than later. It's gonna, we're gonna be talking about it forever. And I, but you know what? I'm glad. I'm glad. I know flaws and all of Rise of Skywalker. I'm glad there's gonna be material that for us to chew on. Because in the end, that's what there's. There, everything wasn't you know, to me. Everything wasn't explained in the OT and the prequel trilogy and the ancillary material. Even though it maybe was Legends now, it came out. It tried to help explain things. People still debated and said this or that or whatever. And that to me is what makes it so much fun. I've told you guys before Star Wars is a lot like debating scripture in my Bible school. And whether you're religious or not, if you know what I'm talking about, you can, everyone interprets things differently and you can better believe even in Star Wars, you can interpret people's actions and words and dialogues and looks and not looks and everything to the minute detail of what you support your opinions on. And it's crazy, but, uh, that being said, I'm really excited to be doing this with you guys. It's going to be, I, I feel this is going to be an insane year for Star Wars, regardless of if there's a movie coming out. So I'm, I'm ready to talk everything.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be a really exciting year where we kind of get our first glimpses of what the future is going to be and what the first steps are that they're going to take moving away from the sequel trilogy and and find out what's next. Um, You guys know, I am super excited for some Clone Wars coming up pretty soon. Um, we'll talk about that more in a little bit as well as, uh, season two of the Mandalorian and, uh, yeah, even though we're not getting a new movie for a while, there's definitely going to be some cool Star Wars stuff coming out this year. Um, but, uh, to start off with, like I said, we're going to kind of start this as a, a, a little bit of a, um, I don't know, an epilogue, if you will, to our, our Rise of Skywalker discussion. Um, we got a lot of comments and emails and stuff from you guys that we're going to read uh, here at the beginning of the episode um, as opposed to at the end because we didn't get to read them at the end of our last one because it was uh, seven hours and, you know, we were running out of vocal cord power at that point. Um, <laughs> but before and It still wasn't
2: enough. Oh yeah, no, of
1: course. Well, and that's kind of what I want to start off with before we get into the comments, just briefly, because I promise after this episode, we're probably going to do a whole nother episode where it's just the three of us talking about more of our thoughts on Rise of Skywalker. And now that the whole trilogy is complete thoughts on the sequel trilogy overall, and how this movie and how this trilogy impacts our view of the saga overall. Um, But just real quickly, let's all talk about uh, just how many times you've seen Rise of Skywalker now. If you have any, uh, you know, any new revelations or any uh, ways that your views have changed on it, you know, kind of how you're feeling on the movie now, um, as it stands now, as opposed to when you first saw it, or maybe as opposed to what we talked about in our last episode. Uh, So, Tim, what's your view count at now?
2: Yeah, right now I am at four. And each viewing... It's not going to be a surprise, because I think I say this about every new Star Wars movie, but for me, it just improves, and I enjoy it more with each viewing, and that was the case with The Rise of Skywalker as well. I just continue to love this movie more and more when I see it, and just continue to appreciate the new aspects it brings to the saga, and what it means to the saga as a whole, and I know you did this, Paul, but I haven't done it yet. I'm probably going to wait until Rise of Skywalker actually has its home release, but not only just to watch the sequel trilogy all in a row, but I'm just saying just to watch the entire saga, one through nine, all in a row, and just to get that flow of this massive story that's being told over the course of these nine films. And I just think it's going to be the best Star Wars viewing experience there could be when you're watching them all in a row. You just get that full, glorious story of this this family of the Skywalkers. So I'm looking forward to that. But just when I'm seeing it, I know we're going to be going into more specific details of new things we appreciate more maybe not for things that we had problem with are still there maybe even more so in the f- future episode but there's two sequences that I just think are so important for the saga as a whole and just in the movie and I just can't wait to talk about more is the whole sequence on uh, Kefbur I believe in the Endor system
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, everything with Rey and Kylo there everything that transpires on that planet I just think is so important and so beautifully done that it's probably my favorite sequence in the movie now, now that I've seen it four times. That is the moment I just look forward to seeing the most whenever I go see it again. And because there's just a lot of powerful moments in there that I just really come to appreciate even more um, than what I saw it the first time, or the first few times, since we did our massive episode and seen it two more times since. It's just always a highlight of the film for me. So, yeah, definitely more stuff I can't wait to dive into. And I just also want to say, because I don't think well, I'll speak for me myself, but this has a whole that seven episode seven hour episode. I don't think we really gave much appreciation appreciation to the acting in this movie. Maybe in certain moments, but I think think over across the board, Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver, they just knocked it out of the park and I just think took it to another level in this movie, in particular Daisy Ridley for me. So and especially in that moment on Kef where with their moments with Kylo there. but throughout the whole film, I just thought everyone up their game, not to say that they were bad in the other two movies i just loved the performance even more so in this one i just really felt what it needed to be to end this story and their character arc so i wanted to give some more props of that as well so yeah i just continue to love it and i've seen it with a few different people a few different family members every time i see it with someone who is seeing it for the first time they really love it as well it's becoming an emotional experience for certain uh, people i see it with too this is probably the most star wars movie where people i've seen it with were actually literally crying (laughs) not because you know they were disappointed or it ended on a bummer but just because how it wrapped up this story and the history that comes along with it with these characters and the legacy that we've come to know from the skywalker saga and it's just been a great experience every time i've seen it and with the people i've seen it with too so yeah i just continue to love the heck out of this movie nice what about you paul
0: I have now seen the movie seven times. And... you got to hit nine
2: now, Paul. <laughs> right. I've seen it this month, so.
0: <laughs> I, You know, I don't know if I'm going to get to nine. Uh, after this time, it, it was felt really good. I saw it yesterday, today's Sunday. I saw it on Saturday. Uh, and I saw it in, in a regular IMAX, no 3D. And I hadn't seen it in this IMAX screen before. I have an IMAX by my house a little bit closer, but it's 3D. And the screen isn't the greatest. I've kind of come to that realization. it's not a bad screen, but it just got it's just yeah, it's not great. This was like the best screen I'd seen the movie on yet. And it wasn't a true IMAX, but it was a pretty it was just a nice, newer, updated screen, and it looked beautiful. And I'm so glad I got to see it on a, a nice screen before um it leaves IMAX. I'm hoping to get it one more time in IMAX, maybe, but right, but here's the thing.'ve I've seen it seven times and that's a lot and you know it's uh I don't know if I need to go back and watch it right away because I've seen it so many times already but uh yeah I it's no secret I love this movie to death and I didn't I didn't expect to love it as much as I did to be honest it wasn't something that I I did I just did not hold out hope for it to hit a home run with me and it did and it's something that I've I keep finding more things about it that I love that connect to me personally and connect to why I love Star Wars and what who I am as a person now, as I approach I approach my forties and I turned thirty eight here in a in a week, uh, same day as a uh, Kyle actually mm-hmm. we have the same birthday which is really hilarious January eighth um but anyway but as I approach uh, my my late thirties and, and and whatever it's. Star Wars affects me differently than it did when I was, you know, eight years old, or when I was twenty years old, or twenty-nine years old, or thirty-four years old. It really does change, and I feel that the Rise of Skywalker and the sequel trilogy has left a different impact on me than both the trilogies have before, because they all affect me differently. And again, because they've all concluded in different times of my life, so it's uh it's been a journey. And I recently went through and watched the sequel trilogy just as this, those three films together, close in you know proximity. I watched The Force Awakens on Friday. I watched The Last Jedi yesterday in the morning. And then I watched Rise of Skywalker that evening. And I wanted to get an idea of how fresh and how everything and go into every film with an open mind meaning both for critical and to really try to accept things for what they are, whether I like it or not, and try to look at, look at it as one, three, you know, three film story and not just three individual films that came out every two years of each other and being able to analyze and not like this and argue and debate and, you know, take shots at Ryan Johnson. and, And I mean that seriously, I mean, I don't, I wanted to leave all that behind I want to sit down and look at the story and see, does it make sense? Does it contradict each other? Does this person, you know, give that director the middle finger? I mean, all that stuff, is, you know, throw it out the window. How does it work as a three film thing? And I will say this right now. I'm not going to really talk about it here at this moment because Kyle won't let me. And I don't blame him because I'll be here like all night. If i do another eight hour episode, <laughs> but uh, we will talk about it on the next episode that Kyle mm. said. So, um, but I'm going to go in a lot of the things that I'll talk about. And I'm curious what Kyle and Tim will say about things I'm going to talk about uh, on my Twitter. And so I'm probably, unless something I forget because I get busy or whatever, but I'm probably going to do a massive Twitter thread tomorrow, Monday night. So if you listen to this and you really want to hear my thoughts, if you're not following me already, I'm probably going to pin it to my profile for a while and it's going to be long it's going to be a long and I'm going to go through every film and talk about how it's gotten better and how it connects to me and how it connects to the trilogy I think as a whole how it affects everything I'm just going to go really deep on it and a, a lot of things I'll be talking about on the next show as well And I'm, but again I'm, I'm very curious what Tim and Kyle have to say and granted I don't think they're going to change their minds about maybe some things that they may not like <clears throat> Kyle but at the same time I don't you know that's just that's there's nothing wrong with that because Star Wars, as we were talking about before, Star Wars affects everyone differently and makes us feel different things, and therefore we interpret everything a lot differently and accept and not accept things that maybe everyone else may may or may not. So, like I said, I'm really excited to kind of get into this because there's a lot of things that I've just... I've been itching to talk about and and throw out there and have people yell at me and say I'm dumb. But, (laughs) But, you know, in the end, Star Wars is still... Is Star Wars for me, and, I'm, and I, and I, haven't been this excited for Star Wars in a long time. And I, and I will say this, and I will talk about on, on the uh, the Twitter feed tomorrow a little bit, but just a little preview. I I will say that the last couple of years have been tough on me as a Star Wars fan because of how much it was. I just could not connect to the Last Jedi as everyone else did. I I didn't hate it. It was it was hard for me to want to love the last Jedi and just not even with the prequels in episode one, episode two films. I didn't necessarily get all behind episode two was a little bit of a bummer for me because I felt like it was just kind of more of the same. And I was kind of, eh, I don't know. And again, that's no, I'm not surprised. I was like that looking back at it now. Cause it's, at the time of my life I just wasn't into star Wars that at that moment because of my time in my life. But when revenge of the Sith came out, it changed everything. And it became, I became a diehard for Star Wars again. And, it was great having the prequels and etc., but with The Last Jedi of being as hardcore and devoted and as dedicated as a, as a fan I am to podcasts and talking about it, it was really hard for me not to connect to it as much as other people were. And I was and I'll be honest, I was I was jealous of of wanting that, and that's why Solo was such a a safe thing for me. But still, the last couple of years have been dark because for as a star as for Star Wars. Because it was, I just could not connect to it as much as I wanted to. Because Last Jedi was just, you know, not completing the saga it was hard. So it was tough. So The Rise of Skywalker has really come in and helped me with the sequel trilogy as a whole. And I'm going to get into all the all the, all the details of that. But yeah, as of right now, it's no secret I love the movie. I think it's great. I'm 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 disappointed that not everyone feels the same way I do about it, or a majority of people don't feel the same way I do about it. But you know what? People probably said the same thing about me and Last Jedi. So it's right now we're in a different part of Star Wars, and I, like I said, it'll be interesting. It's gonna be interesting post sequel trilogy what Disney does and what the films do for everyone afterwards. And will will it be more of the same. Will it be more of solos and Rise of Skywalker's and and uh, and Last Jedi's and and less Rogue Ones and The Force Awakens. Because even though The Force Awakens is heavily criticized, I think, you know, afterwards, including myself as being too cl- too safe, I would say majority of people like that film and like majority of people like Rogue One. It's the other films are kind of hit and miss and a lot of, you know, some more so than others. So I'm very curious what the census is going forward in films and TV shows and whatnot going forward and – and how Lucasfilm reacts and and what they create. So like I said, it's going to be an insane year because I think this is going to be a defining moment for star Wars because the future of star Wars is now. And what it does go in the next five, six years is going to, I think happen in the next year, year and a half.
1: Yeah. Um, like it'll definitely be interesting to see how this affects things moving forward. And again, we should be finding out hopefully pretty soon here. Um, what some of those next steps are going to be. But I mean, for me, I've seen the movie five times now. And when we had record, when we recorded our review episode, I had seen it three times. And the third time is still my favorite time that I've watched it. Like, unfortunately something clicked for me on that third viewing that just hasn't clicked on other viewings for me. And, um, I don't know. I mean, it's funny. Cause Paul, a lot of the stuff that you just said about the last Jedi is the way that I feel about the rise of Skywalker. Um, it's been frustrating for me. Just, I mean, there's a lot that just doesn't work for me about that movie and I don't hate it. I mean, there's a lot that I do like too. Um, and it's not just stuff that I feel like needs to be explained better, like how the heck Palpatine survived. Um, but I, I don't know. There's a lot that, I mean, for example, the still the scene where Kylo reveals that Ray is a Palpatine still just feels like weird fan fiction to me. Um, actually something that I don't think I even talked about on our last episode that has kind of become my biggest gripe with the movie is you guys know how much I love Kylo Ren and I love the idea of him being redeemed and becoming Ben Solo again. And that happens in this movie, but then he doesn't get to do anything. Like if you think about it, he plays no part in helping Rey defeat Palpatine, um, like, they show up, Palpatine sucks the life force out of both of them, chucks Kylo down a hole, Rey defeats him, because, again, apparently two lightsabers are stronger than one when you're blocking force lightning, and it lets you kill the person that's shooting the lightning, and that's just, I, that whole ending is just anticlimactic for me. Um And then he just comes back out of a pit and sacrifices himself to save her, but I really wish that he had, that, that it took the two of them i mean we've seen that there's this special bond between the two of them throughout the whole sequel trilogy and then in this movie they introduce this whole idea of a dyad in the force and it's almost like a similar kind of thing to them be- to anakin being the chosen one but there's two of them and it's this you know special power that hasn't been seen in a long time why not you know say that that power between the two of them that connection that relationship that it's going to take both of them to defeat the ultimate evil that somehow could even survive Luke Skywalker and Anakin Skywalker and all these times that we thought he was dead, that, you know, now you have these two people with this special connection, like, just the fact that they just take Kylo out of the equation and that Rey hears some voices and then blocks some force lightning, like, I don't know. There's there's a lot that just doesn't click for me. Um, and like you were saying about Last Jedi, it's been frustrating, but at least I'm at a point where I don't think like it's not like i feel like oh this is going to be a dark couple of years where i just watch everybody else enjoy this movie and i'm you know struggling cuz i don't enjoy it as much i'm kind of already at a place where i'm i've made my peace with it like after seeing it 5 times i'm like you know what i think i need to give this a rest for a little bit and stop beating myself over the head with it and trying to force myself to like it um, I'm really excited for the novel to come out because I'm hoping that'll fill in some of the gaps that I have because I know, uh, the writer Ray Carson, who's doing the novel, she tweeted about it recently and said that, um, if the, if everything that was in, in the novel was in the movie, it would be a three hour movie. Um, and that's like, this needs to be a three hour movie, um, There's stuff that I just want to see fleshed out more and see more again, not just more backstory and more information, but give some of the like build up some of the character relationships more. Even like when Ray and when Ray and Ben kiss at the end, like I feel like there needs to be more development between their characters. Um, And I wish that we like got some time with Ray and Ben together after he turns back to the light side Um, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to the novel. I'm really looking forward to hopefully a ton of deleted scenes on the Blu-ray, although I'll probably be pulling my hair out going, why didn't they leave this in the movie? Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think for now I'm just at a place where I'm like, you know what? This movie isn't my cup of tea and I'm okay with that. I'm glad that a lot of people love it and I don't hate it, but it was also kind of disappointing. Like the last time I went to see it, I was, I realized I'm like, we got Jedi and Sith and and Sith homeworlds on Exegol and Kylo Ren, who's my favorite character. And yet, I think the last time I watched it, the parts that I enjoyed the most were the parts with uh, C-3PO, Babu Frick, Zori Bliss, and Lando. They're like the bright spot. Like I have nothing I can complain about with those characters in this movie, and they just have some of the most fun moments. Um, whereas all the stuff with Rey and Kylo and the more like serious emotional core of the movie is really hit or miss for me. So, um, but you know, again, I'm, I'm content right now to just accept that this one is, uh, is not my cup of tea, but there's plenty of Star Wars that is. Like last year we got Jedi Fallen Order, we got The Mandalorian, we've got Clone Wars coming up, so um i still love star wars just as much as i ever have i'm excited about the stuff that we've gotten recently and about the stuff that we're getting uh coming up this you know upcoming year um and still hopeful that my uh my views on rise of skywalker might improve at some point but i think for right now i'm content to just kind of accept it for what it is
2: man even after seven hours of talking about it with you guys the little points you're bringing up kyle and you paul just makes me anxious to dive deep into some of those specific moments you were mentioning there, because like you guys said, there's just so much that you could take from it and different views that you can have on some of those big moments and how it clicks for some fans and for some fans, it doesn't click. So it's just fascinating to have that type of movie out already yeah. here. I mean, we've said that about the last Jedi, but for another one, right after that, you can just really sink your teeth into and have some discussions on it. I'm really looking forward to us doing it again, even though we spent seven hours on the whole movie, our previous episodes. So. It's mm-hmm. funny,
0: Kyle, when you were talking about the two sabers and all, I'm just like, <laughs> I, want, I, want, I wanted to jump in so bad. But, Let me talk. And we'll, we'll talk all about that. Just like on our commentary, when, when I have my issues with Luke and, Doing attempted murder on uh, his son. <laughs> Here
2: we
1: go.
0: I, I don't. Know, you you missed does, that. Does
1: pulling it, out a weapon and not doing anything with it make it attempted murder?
0: The fact you can interpret it that way because he goes in in the middle of the night when he's sleeping. Yeah, you could. So, but, it, but this is my point. Like, my point is is like, there's so many different things that we read into it differently, and that's mm-hmm. and again, that's where. It's it's unfortunate that we can't. I wish we could all say the things that we want to say to each other. Like you told me, you you really wanted to tell me your side of the story, or your way, how you interpret that scene. You thought that might help alleviate that scene for me, and I respect and understand what Ryan and, and everyone that loves that scene. You know, it's hard, and just like for that scene with Ray and the two lightsabers, and and what you know why, and and again, those are legitimate concerns. I want to make that very clear. Like those are legitimate. Um, gripes, and I think that, but there's more going on in that scene than just what what it's showing you. Face value, if that makes any sense, and not to get into it, I'm just saying that that's what that's the whole thing with Star Wars is so crazy. Is that there's different interpretations and in, and in saying, well, this and and this and that, and, and there's a lot of there's a lot to you have to take. You know, just like what Yoda says about the cave, right? Luke says, "What's in there? Only what you take with you," mm-hmm. and. I think, and and I'm not, and it's not a dig at you at all. This is more of like everybody. No,
1: no, no. I mean, that makes perfect sense. Like your views on things are going to be informed by your, your tastes, your likes, your dislikes, your prior biases, you know, what you expected the movie to be, or just the way that we interpret things differently. So, um, yeah, like we said, we will, I know this was just kind of a brief overview of, of, you know, ways that our, our thoughts on the movie have changed. Um, but we we'll, we could probably save this for a whole separate three hour yeah. episode where we'll just talk more about, um, you know, new things that we've discovered or thought about with the movie and with the, the trilogy as a whole and stuff. Because I also have now watched uh, Force Awakens and Last Jedi before the last time I saw Rise of Skywalker. Um, I mm-hmm. saw it like on a Thursday and I think I watched Force Awakens the Sunday before that and then I watched Last Jedi like the day before I went to see rise of skywalker so not quite all consecutively but you know within a week i watched all three of them um and there were so, there were some things that i think it really helped connect and then there are other areas where i think it really did highlight the lack of an overall plan for this trilogy um but you know we yeah. can talk about all that as well so uh we'll yeah. save that for for a future discussion Um, But for right now, uh, like I said, we also have a lot of uh, comments and emails and stuff from you listeners that you guys sent in for our last episode that we didn't get to. So uh, let's get to those now. Uh, And so, Tim, as always, we'll turn it over to you for that.
2: Yeah, so I put this poll up and asking for a response the day after the movie came out. So the 20th. So this is kind of initial reactions from our followers and listeners who saw it, but even then a lot of them saw it multiple times already. <laughs> were able to get some uh, definitive opinions on it. So for the poll um, I put up for the four choices um, is either you loved it and it was a perfect ending, really good, but not perfect. Still have mixed feelings on it and did not like it at all. And coming in at coming in last at 11.5% was did not like it at all. Then we had still have mixed feelings in third at 20%. And then Coming in second was loved it, thought it was a perfect ending at 26.9%. And then the winner of that poll was it was really good, but not perfect at 41.5%. And that's kind of where I uh, fit in with that those choices. I picked that one as far as um, how I felt about it, how it was just really good, but still not quite perfect. Um, with some of the cries that I've had about it. But overall, just, you know, like most of our followers and listeners thought, on this one, it was still a very good and fitting ending for the saga, but just not quite as perfect as maybe it could have been. But as far as the responses and the thoughts that our followers and listeners had, first up, we got... This one's kind of go run the gamut of different <laughs> opinions about of the film, which shouldn't have come as too much of a surprise. I'm going off the reactions from some of the fans we've been seeing online. So first up is Paul Stewart at Mr. P. He said, I loved the film at the first viewing. I've now watched it three times, and that feeling is only getting stronger. Then Chris Spark at CJ559Arc says, I really enjoyed it, and perhaps my expectations were low, and I had no idea how they could get things back on track after The Last Jedi. But I thought JJ did a fabulous job with his course corrections, and for me, it was a satisfying ending. We'll definitely need a few more viewings to process. And then Anthony at Tony Fig says, I loved so much about the film. Was disappointed with a few things, though. And then Joshua at Castle Runner 87 says, loved it. It was like Revenge of the Sith, basically Star Wars on steroids. Very satisfying end to the saga, in my humble opinion. And then Caleb Klingon at Caleb underscore Klingon 5 says, I just finished my second viewing of it, and I loved it so much more than the first time. My first reaction was that the pacing was bad. But it's just because there's so much information to process, and you don't have time to process it in the first viewing. The second time was just pure fun. Then Dylan Sparks at underscore fives says, I enjoyed the first two thirds or the first two thirds of it. There are parts I loved, but I found myself rolling my eyes a lot of the time, especially at the ending. Right now, it's near the bottom of my Star Wars list. Then Alan L at Label chip says, got to see it a couple more times to really know how I feel. But initial reaction is that it was fun and full of fan service. Derek Beebe at Derek JBB says, A single viewing was a confused blur, but I absolutely loved 90% of it, and the rest are just the usual quibbles. Loved it. Jade Wade at J underscore Wade21 says, Worst film in the franchise. And then Tom McClellan agrees with Jade here, <laughs> saying he hated it. And uh, Pete Woolman at Remy's Gamut says, Still mixed, I walked out of the midnight screening believing it is the worst Star Wars film, but I enjoyed it a lot more on the second viewing. I still have issues with its use of Palpatine and the way it backtracks on The Last Jedi. Time will tell if I can fully come to terms with those decisions. And Dark Jedi at Dark DarkJedi25684073 says, Watched it twice, and the second time around, I appreciate it even more. Totally satisfying for pure Star Wars fans. Joby King at Joby1874 says, I loved it. Per- perfect ending to the Skywalker saga. It kicked you in the balls from the first minute. High-octane action... Character arcs, tragedy, happiness, and joy. It tied up not only the sequel trilogy, but all nine movies. I saw it yesterday, and I'm still buzzing. And favorite Star Wars action figures at Fave Star Wars Fig says, I've seen it three times now, and I'm really thinking about going a fourth time this evening. It just gets better and better. First time I was like, that ending? Having the time to take everything in and see more each viewing acts to solidify the film as a great Star Wars movie. And then finally, Stone Kidman at Kidman McKino says, it had flaws, of course, but I don't care. I love this movie most of all. warmed my heart, I laughed, cried, and cheered. I needed this movie, and it's probably the happiest I've been all year. So, yeah, those are the reactions we had on Twitter. Like I said, it kind of ranged from very different emotions and opinions on it, from those loving it, hating it. Then just having mixed feelings on it and just needing a few more viewings to really solidify how they feel on it, which again is par for the core for Star Wars films these days. So but it was great to hear all those different reactions from you guys and sharing how you felt about the movie right after you saw it. So again, it's always just fun a fun part of seeing the new Star Wars movies for us on the podcast, just getting to interact with you guys and hearing what I our listeners are feeling about the movie after we get to talk about it. So so it's always a great thing to see all these reactions, despite if they're loving the movie or hating it.
1: Yeah, definitely.
2: And then also got a couple of emails. First one is a follow-up to ones that we read on two episodes ago, I believe in our pre Rise of Skywalker show. Um, This one from Aaron Chavez, who is chiming in again about the discussion we've had on Ray and her potential uh, origins and her family heritage and he starts off by saying hey guys i'm sure you'll read this post uh post rise of skywalker so if you don't read it on the spot that's totally fine well we're going to read it anyway Aaron, because <laughs> it's a good discussion a topic to have uh, this discussion will probably have been settled one way or another i love paul and i listened to him on three podcasts including this one i didn't take his response as disrespect no worries there paul responded to my last email regarding ray not needing to be related to another jedi to be a force user." Paul mentioned that Yoda, Mace, and Obi-Wan were stronger levels of Jedi than your average one. I totally agree with that, but we have no evidence that they were born from anything other than average families. No evidence that they that they have Force-sensitive relatives. I don't like the Buffy the Vampire Slayer-ish everyone-is-special-in-the-same-way thing either. I'm saying Rey could be born from a regular folk and still be on a similar level as Yoda, Mace, and Obi-Wan. she need the proper training, of course. They had it in them to start, but also had proper Jedi training at the Temple and from their masters. For all we know, Rey has crazy amount of midi-chlorians. Luke just didn't have the cool Gizmo Qui-Gon had to check. I'll say that it would be hard for her to beat either Kylo or Palpatine without use of training, but she may be strong enough where the Force enables her to beat them. Obviously, Rey is a special, or is special in the way Yoda is, or I should say, obviously Ray is special in the way Yoda, etc., is. If she were an average person, the movies wouldn't be about her. Again, I'd rather they leave well enough alone regarding the parentage. Like you guys, I just wanted it to make sense and be a great story. Also, Obi-Wan is the Sith killer in the Order. He killed Maul, originally, and all but killed Vader on Mustafar. Yoda at best tied Tyrannus and lost to Palpatine. Obi-Wan may be less powerful than Yoda, but it's possible he's more skilled in certain areas. You guys have my favorite Star Wars podcast, and I appreciate you reading the last one on the show. Well, we appreciate you sending in the emails there and, it, and you saying that. So uh, thank you for that. And yeah, it's kind of fun to read this email now that uh, we saw the Rise of Skywalker and know that Ray is a Palpatine and looking back at all the possible explanations of why she's strong in the Force, even though um, she doesn't come from a family that has a heritage of being strong with the Force as well. So yeah, it's just crazy to think that as he said in the beginning of this email, that this was going to be settled (laughs) one way or another. And um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on Rey being a Palpatine now, Aaron, because it sounded like um, you wanted them just to leave it how it was in The Last Jedi where her parents were nobodies. But now that they're Palpatine, I'm curious to hear how you feel about that and if you think it still makes sense for Rey and her story in the last two movies with this revelation that we got in The Rise of Skywalker. So, yeah, send us another email. Let us know how you're feeling about Arabian being a Palpatine, now that we know for sure that is her heritage and what it means for her as a character for you. Yeah, definitely.
0: And, and, and the follow-up, too, I appreciate it, Aaron, that you uh, didn't take what I said disrespectfully or anything, and I, I would say that Rey is even more special th- even before Rise of Skywalker. She's even more powerful, I think, than at this point, or at least I interpret it as, she's more powerful than Mace and Yoda, because again, she's pretty... And it, She's pretty overpowered in, and again, I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. She's really powerful in Episodes 7 and 8, and there's not a lot of context. And I think that's where I was kind of trying to get at, is the fact that, yes, I think that there are people that are really strong in the Force, like a Mace Windu, but I think she even transcends that. And what's really cool is I think Chris Terrio even talked about that idea that the reason why this... that. The Ray Rando, and he didn't say Ray Rando obviously, because that's more of a me thing, but uh, he talked about how Ray, you know, there needed to be some kind of pizzazz with her because it's, this is a fairy tale and that this isn't really something you can just be just kind of It's not a meta commentary on society or or whatever. And that's the cool thing I I think that about – I think Chris Tarot got where where I was coming from and maybe I had a hard time articulating that. I think he did a great job in one of the interviews for – I think it was Hollywood Reporter. He talked – he referenced that saying that Star Wars is a fairy tale and it's mythological. It's myth and these people – and again, you also have the, the word Luke says, the force is strong in my family and that there is a connection. And I have lots of things to talk about regarding that, which I won't get into here, but, and, and I'm curious, after we do our next episode, what you think, Aaron, and please chime in and talk to me on Twitter. If you're on Twitter too, I'd love to, you know, you want to hit me up there. But again, there's that familiar famili uh, f- uh, familia. uh f- family aspect that I think that it's important to keep in the Skywalker saga that, I think Ray needed to keep in and, and also it's, and again, it's, it's just nice to have that kind of cohesion, I think in the story. And I think that that's what I was trying to imply. Cause I don't, I think even at this point with, with her before Rise of Skywalker, I thought she was more powerful than Mason and Yoda and they were very powerful. But it's not – it wasn't just that. There was something special about her because of, of that connection with Kyla, which, we'll again, we'll talk about later. But, again, Aaron, thank you for the conversation, and I appreciate you not me taking me the wrong way. And, again, hit me up on Twitter. But we're going to talk a lot more about this. I'll talk a lot more about, about it on my Twitter rant and also on the next episode. So, But thanks for uh, chiming in. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, and I'll just say for now as a counterpoint to that, I still – like, I understand the idea of Rey being from an important bloodline and there being a a reason for her being as powerful as she is. But at the same time, this has always been the Skywalker saga, but, like, there was never an established Palpatine family. And, like, I just—I don't like that, you know, now not only do we have Ben Solo, but Rey is a Palpatine, and apparently Janna is the daughter of Lando, which isn't even—like, is— vaguely hinted at in the movie and confirmed in the visual dictionary, which is like, well, why leave that out if it's an actual thing? Or why do it at all if you're not going to explain it in the movie? Um, And I just... Like, it makes the universe feel small when all these characters are suddenly... They all have to be related to the previous generation. And again, Palpatine was there was never a palpatine lineage this isn't the sky this is the skywalker saga but it's never been the skywalkers versus the palpatines like it's always been one dude that's been a menace over everything that these guys have been trying to fight and again they could i feel like they really could have built this up really well over the course of this trilogy but to yeah. in one movie go oh by the way Palpatine's been alive the whole time we're not going to tell you how but he's back uh boom right from the beginning we're going to throw it in the crawl oh and he also had a son at some point but he's not important the point is he's got a granddaughter and uh that's right surprise like it's it's too much to cram in the last movie of the trilogy and of the saga. Um but I will say I I still like the ending of the movie and I like what Ray – I like her character arc from the point that she finds that out. And I like um, sort of the way she relates to that, the way she processes it, and the way that she chooses to move on from that. Where like her whole identity has been wrapped up in I need to know where I'm from. I need to know who my parents are. I need to know my place in all this. And then she finds it out and it's not what she was expecting and so I like that that forces her to then go, oh, so this isn't the answer I was looking for. Or this didn't give me the satisfaction that I thought it would. And now I have to still sort of choose my own place in the world and make my own way and decide who my family is going to be. So I like that aspect of it. But I still don't really like her being a Palpatine in the first place. But that's just my take on it.
0: And, you know, what? I, I, again, when we talk about it in a couple of weeks. I think there's a because there's a lot of different elements. And I think those are viable just like I think I have viable reason not to like the Ray Rando thing in episode eight, you have a legitimate, you know, gripe. And I think understanding of why you would not like that take, but there's different reasons why it, that does work for me. And I'm not gonna get into it here, but again, this is, and this goes back to what I was saying before. We all interpret these things differently and we accept the things that, that the storytellers give us based on what we bring with us, what Yoda says. And I I'm gonna keep you you know I think I'm gonna marry that 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 gif to my my Twitter forever and pin that forever is something I need to figure out a way so we can meme like have you know those people those things that people meme like they'll, they'll put like a, a label on something and uh, on on a on a meme and they'll say like basically it's saying the same a meta conversation or well, you know what I mean like where it's yeah, like yeah a, yeah so basically what what I want I do will is say I by the have, way this
1: movie has given us some fantastic memes already
0: oh yeah. <laughs> and so what, I, what I'd love to do is have that scene in Dagobah somehow where it says, you know, where, you know, what, what, what's in there. And then Yoda says, whatever, only what you take with you. And you have, it says star Wars is Yoda. And then, and then star Wars fans is Luke. And then star Wars movie is a Dagobah cave. I need to, I need to make that like somehow like make that meme and just put that out there and say, this is essentially what we are today as, as star Wars fans. It's, Instead of just everyone embracing and getting excited about one Star Wars thing, there's so much being coming at us that we take so much else with us now. And yeah. well,
1: and, and the that, thing that it's important to remember, too, is it's perfectly fine to not like something like yeah. and again, that's been kind of the hard lesson for me. Like, I'm used to loving Star Wars, even like I love the prequels. I love The Last Jedi, which a lot of people don't. I've loved the animated series from day one. Um I mean, resistance, I could kind of take it or leave it, but you know, like I, I generally have been very positive about star Wars. I love a lot of star Wars stuff. Um, and you know, again, with the gripes that I have with rise of Skywalker, it's, I've had to just kind of realize, you know, it's okay that I don't love this. Like, and obviously Mm -hmm. there are people out there that are going to try to persuade everybody that it's terrible or persuade everybody that it's amazing. And it's like, just like what you like, don't like what you don't like, and you know, let everybody else do their thing.
0: And 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 I just want to say one last thing about this kind of release. I think kind of a serious conversation because I think I understand completely what you're going through and what other people are going through. And I think this, it, it bears a bigger discussion at some point down the road that we need to, we need to kind of come to the conclusion of what happens when it doesn't go our way and how do we react? What does that mean? Because honestly, I, it almost didn't go my way at all, and it was hard for me. And I'll be honest, and, and, and I think this is no secret, I did not handle it well all the time. And it sounds really ridiculous about you know, a commercialized art that I'm doing that over, but it's true. And I think it it's something to talk about because I think it's, it's something that's serious that we as Star Wars fans, we take Star Wars so seriously. It's a big deal when we don't like something. And it's hard. It's hard to accept, and it's hard to say is this right or wrong. And I think it is a great topic at some point to talk about, and can I get some Star Wars therapy? And I mean that, like I mean that seriously, because uh, I know, like even a show like Force Center, I think even has like Star Wars therapy like show. But like, but in all seriousness, I think there's there needs to be some kind of under like people. We all think things differently, and it's hard for us when we don't connect to something that we want to. And that's what I'm trying to get at. When you can't connect to something that you want to so badly, and I relate to that, believe me, people, so much. It's hard, and it's really difficult when you when you love something as much as Star Wars, and you don't connect with it, and you see other people that do, and then you see the pe- people that don't, and you want to cling to those people and be like, yeah, you know, this is my people, and I, I understand that completely. And I'm, I'll be honest, I'm grateful it ended the way I a way that I kind of wanted it to go. And I'm very grateful. Because if it didn't, I don't know what I would do. It'd be hard for me to swallow. And I and I think it, and and so instead of being like, whew, glad I dodged that bullet, I want to really embrace like, the idea of how can we as Star Wars fans, if we don't love something like like you don't love the Rise of Skywalker. And I didn't love The Last Jedi. How do we it's, – it's, I think it's more than just I don't like this movie and we just move on. I think there's – got to figure out some way to like – what can we help each other out, encourage each other to get over those things? And honestly, and I'm not sure what the answer is because it was hard for me. And I there was moments that I accepted it and sometimes I didn't. So how do we well, help I'll be honest. The, the answer for them. me
1: right now is get excited for the fact that Clone Wars is coming out next month.
0: Well, well, there you go.
1: But, you know, I mean, in general, like, for real, though, there's so much Star Wars stuff out there. Just focus on the stuff you love. Like, we're all Star Wars fans. Even if you didn't like the latest movie or the latest episode of the show or whatever, like, there's got to be something that you love. So, and at some point, especially now that Disney's got the franchise and we're getting so many new movies and so many new series and video games and everything, like, eventually, along the way, there's going to be something that you don't love. And that's okay. Like you know, they're not going to bat a thousand. Um, and it's totally fine to just focus on the stuff that you do love, but you know, don't tear down the people who love the thing that you don't love.
0: Right? No, it's true. And like, like I said, I think we all, the sequel trilogy was a little bit different. And again, we'll, we'll get to that next week, but yeah, I, I think you a, make a great point. There's, we have great, we're going to talk about the Clone Wars here in a minute and other stuff. And, there's lots to be excited about. And I think that's what we go. You just want to embrace what you love and just accept the fact that there's going to be so much stars coming out after the sequel trilogy now that there's going to be something probably for everyone. And I think that's something to kind of cling to because we've got, like you said so much. So yeah, we, I, I don't mean to, t- to hijack this, but thank you everyone for your, your guys's comments. They mean a lot to us. And uh, yeah, please hit us up for more, uh, more comments about everything. Even if you disagree with me.
1: Yeah, and thank you to Aaron for that email that obviously got a good discussion going. Um, Yes. Sorry, my fire alarm's going off in the background because my wife's cooking, but... Don't uh, die. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Don't die. No,
1: I'm I'm good. We're fine. We're all fine here right now. Uh, Situation (laughs) normal. Just a small (laughs) reactor leak. Um, But anyway, I think, Tim, we do have uh, one more email to read,
2: right? Yeah, we do. We got one from Logan Simmons giving his thoughts on The Rise of Skywalker. And he goes, hey, TSC gang. I'm going to cut right to the chase. Episode 9 fulfills the potential that the sequel trilogy had all along. This film was satisfying, impactful, and just an all-around fun time. After my first viewing, my major complaint was that the pacing was so fast and intense, it didn't really feel like it was building up towards anything. Upon my second viewing, the pacing comes off much more natural. I realized that the abundance of new Star Wars creates this feeling where us fans are always at maximum hype, which is which why I felt this movie peaked early. And plateaued there. Was Anakin's legacy tarnished by episode nine? As a diehard prequel fan, I say no. I had presumed that the chosen one would bring balance by destroying the Sith. I have come to accept that it now means that Anakin's destiny is to realize or to equalize the playing field for about thirty years or a generation, and to eventually give the Ray or give Rey the strength to defeat Palps. Is Rey the next chosen one? Not necessarily, but I love the new term that episode nine uses. She and Ben are a dyad in the Force. Fair warning, I'm going to be jumping all over the place here. When Ben Solo stood off against his former Knights of Ren with his grandfather Saber, I nearly lost it. The feeling of thinking that Chewie was dead was the most uncomfortable two and a half minutes of my entire life. When pride said that there was a prisoner, I literally felt my heart swell in relief. I love that some of the most prominent Jedi voices heard were that of Anakin Skywalker, Ahsoka Tano, Kanan Jarrus, and Qui-Gon Jinn. My top five favorite Jedi are Annie, Ahsoka, Kanan, Qui-Gon, and Ezra. Of course, that begs the question, where was Ezra's voice? I hope that this means that he and even Cal Kestis are still out there, alive. Oh no, I just realized, does this mean that Ahsoka is dead by episode 9? And on another note, Babu Frick, with multiple exclamation points there. (laughs) And anyways, I had heard that the Cape Sith Troopers in Sidious' Chamber were named after legendary Sith, for instance, perhaps one is uh, Tenebris and one is Bane. Yeah, that's from the Visual Dictionary Guide where the different squad squadrons of the Sith Troopers are named after the former Sith Lords. Like I believe Tenebris was on there and Darth Revan and, and some other ones, which is a pretty cool little Easter egg to throw in there. But he continues saying, I'll be the one to say it. Maybe Paul will too. The movie fixed a lot of my and many other fans' problems with The Last Jedi, while also complimented me... or complimenting the entire sequel trilogy. I love that this movie wasn't bogged down in meta messages about fandom and just had fun being a Star Wars movie for a change. Ben slash Kylo is now one of my favorite characters of all time, although I am personally not a fan of the kiss. A little bummed that the duel of the fates was never heard, given that a lot of TV and radio ads use it to hype people up. That being said, I love the score. My most favorite score since Revenge of the Sith. I love the new main three heroes, J.J. finally fully fleshed them out, and the romantic tension is really well-written. I know I'm discussing about it all right now. I'm in a pretty good mood with the holiday season in full swing. I can think of a few things that I had a problem with. Would it be so bad for the Knights of Ren to have lightsabers? I don't understand that creative decision. R2 really didn't do much, although I've been getting used to that, unfortunately. 3PO really didn't use the bowcaster, so that was a bummer. And what was with the random slug chilling him, the falcon? I kind of love that there's no explanation. He's referring to Claude there, who, yeah, I thought was going to be in it more, but at the end, it didn't really miss him not being in it as much as he was anyway. And he goes, I thought the alien monkey who clued Kylo's mask together looked like an alien out of deleted scenes on Canto Bite." No, thanks. I love that we got to play as the Ovisian, uh, the hornhead or the hornheaded alien in Battlefront, two days before seeing him. I audibly gasped when I saw the severed head. Sith Troopers are relatively underutilized. I would have loved to find out if there are clones or Sith species or something. Just a thought, what if instead of Pride, it was Thrawn? I'm not saying I'm disappointed that it's not, because then he would have died. But boy, that would have been a great nod to the heir to the Empire. Anyone else notice that the small hilt with the dually meters on Rey's orange says, orange lightsaber reminds me of Exar Kun's saber? On a second viewing, Leia's scenes come off so much more natural as opposed to my first blush where I felt that other actors were just responding to old footage, which is probably what happened. On another note, I think it's odd that more prominent Jedi like Flo Koon or Kit Fisto aren't part of the Jedi Whispers, but Adi Gallia of all Jedi are. Perhaps more Whispers will be added with future special editions. Palpatine having seemingly good children is a little odd, but if it has to happen for Rey to be a Palpatine, I think it's worth it. What's worse than finding out that you're the son of Vader... You're the granddaughter of the Emperor of the Universe, that's what. I hope that, with the comics and books taking place between 8 and 9, we can see Chewbacca have a moment with Kylo, because I was a little bummed that there was no room for that in this packed movie. Perhaps he could have he manhandled Kylo like he did to Lando after Han was frozen in Carbonite. I've heard some fans claim that would've, it would have been nice for Kylo to talk to Anakin instead of Han. Even as an Annie fanboy, I wholeheartedly disagree. I was crying like a baby when Han and Ben had their moment, especially given the precedence that the theme of fatherhood has in the Star Wars saga. Since Chewie has lost almost everyone he has loved, I'm so glad that 3PO didn't go. The previous run of Star Wars comics really cemented their relationship, and I don't think I could have bared another sad Chewie moment. When Ray crossed the sabers and had that gritted face of determination, it became clear Ray belongs with Luke anakin ahsoka and Ez- ezra as heroic protagonists that i will champion proudly to sum it up after my first viewing i would have given the rise of skywalker a 7.5 out of 10 after a second viewing i can confidently say i would give it a 9 out of 10 by far the best of the sequel trilogy there is so much amazing star wars right now fallen order is the near perfect mandalorian is somehow even closer to perfect and i am beyond hype for clone war season 7 Matt Lanter has said that there hasn't been any talks of a season 8, but it's not, a, it's not completely ruled out of the picture. Battlefront 2 is re- really fun with co-op now available to the sequel trilogy, and I'm finding myself playing regularly again. I can't wait to see some of the, del- the deleted scenes. I think it's odd that Hayden Christensen has come into the limelight of fandom just for a couple of whispers. Perhaps there are some alternate scenes with Hayden in full Anakin getup, or perhaps we'll be in, or he'll be in flashbacks with the new Kenobi series. Even though we're supposed to be celebrating the end of the saga, this feels like a new beginning that I can't wait to be a part of. And I'll be right here listening to you guys as the saga continues into the future. May the force be with you. Yeah. Thank you for your response to the rise of Skywalker, Logan. A lot of cool and interesting facts that you shared with us for some of the stuff you loved about it, which I think a lot of us would agree with. And then some of the nitpicks that you've had with it too. So Again, this movie, just so much you can take from it. Even the smallest little details about it, you can have so much discussions <laughs> about it. Just have it stick with you, as Logan put down in his bullet points of stuff he enjoyed or didn't enjoy about the movie. So, just all great stuff to hear from fans of this, of Star Wars in general, just to get all these different perspectives on it. So, yeah. And like you said at the end, Logan, still a great time <laughs> to be a Star Wars fan. We just got all this great stuff to enjoy and just. More great stuff to look forward to in the future. So thanks again for sharing your thoughts on it.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I don't remember if we talked about this on our on our review episode or not. But yes, the Visual Dictionary did confirm with those Sith Trooper Legions, Revan is canon now. Hallelujah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> now we just got to get a canon story with Revan in there. Mm-hmm. That's the next step.
1: <laughs> That's the next step. But well, baby steps, people. Baby steps.
2: That's true. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um. But yeah, thank you to to Logan and Aaron and all you guys. Uh, for chiming in with your thoughts. We love hearing from you. Also, just a special shout-out to all of you that like tweeted us after you uh, listened to the last episode telling us how much you enjoy it. Um, again, this might sound weird, but I still worry. Like, every time we put out an episode that's like six or seven hours, I'm like, who the heck's gonna listen to this? And then when we hear people be like, hey, I'm on a seven-hour car ride and I'm halfway through the Saga Continues podcast and loving it, I'm like, okay, great. There's some people out there that are just as crazy about Star Wars as we are. So um, thank you to all of you guys uh, who just who listen to that episode and enjoyed it and stuck with us for the whole seven hours and uh, hope you enjoyed Mm, listening to all the stuff we had to say about it. Um, And then I put out a couple of polls on Twitter around uh, New Year's Um, Just talking about sort of uh, the year in review for Star Wars and then um, the year ahead and what's coming in 2020. Um, So first when I said 2019 is coming to an end and what a year it was, what was your favorite piece of Star Wars content that we got this year? And the options were The Rise of Skywalker, The Mandalorian, Jedi Fallen Order or Galaxy's Edge. Um, and galaxy's edge was in last place with 2%, which wasn't too surprising. Cause I know a lot of people probably haven't been there yet, but I know that was yeah. a big thing this year. So I wanted to put that on there, uh, 10.2% for Jedi fallen order. Um, which probably means that more people need to play it. Cause if you haven't, that game is amazing. And I'm not sure where I would be on this pull. Jedi fallen order is up there for me. Um, mm. it's definitely one of my favorite things that we got last year and, uh, Paul, I know you finally finished it recently, and so we can all Mm -hmm. talk about now, you know, just how amazing that story is. Um, And we might have to do, like, a a spoiler-filled review of that game at some point in the future, too, now that we've all finished it. Uh, But that got 10.2%. The Rise of Skywalker was in third place with 31.6%, and then The Mandalorian took first place with 56%. Um, And, uh, yeah, I was a little surprised that The Mandalorian was that far ahead of Rise of Skywalker, but... um, Man, between the the Beskar armor, the Mando history and culture, and all the Baby Yoda memes, um, you know that was definitely a big thing for Star Wars in 2019. Um, and we'll talk about that some more uh, in just a bit because um, we got to do a little recap of the the final two episodes. I think the last time we talked about the Mandalorian, we were only up to episode six, and uh, man, that season went out with a bang, to say the least.
2: Oh, yes. Um, so, <laughs> man, it was a difficult choice in that poll, though. But again, this speaks to the volume of the great Star Wars content we got this year and how it was a Star Wars year like no other that we had all these choices and options to choose from. Yeah. So what would you
1: guys pick? What What would you say was your favorite piece of Star Wars content from last year?
0: Oh, <laughs> to be honest, I don't know if I could do it because there, there. I love everything we've gotten. Pretty much the three main things, Fallen Order, Mandalorian, Rise of Skywalker, I love all of them. It's it's really hard for me to choose because I do love them so much. And I'd probably say the only thing I'd say, Rise of Skywalker gets this a little bit, To an edge of everything is just because of the connotations with the or the connections with the saga films and it, you know, concluding and trying to, you know, conclude a nine film saga that I grew up watching. But the Mandalorian and Fallen Order are Mandalorian is is revolutionizing Star Wars, in my opinion, for a mainstream audience that the saga films aren't even doing and Fallen Order, I think, is the start of many great things to come, which, again, I, I could go on a long time about all of this. So I would say Rise of Skywalker edges everything out, but it's just barely we're talking we're splitting hairs at this point because I every, this is like the golden age. This is maybe the best year of Star Wars I've ever had. And I wasn't anticipating that because I had no idea how the Rise of Skywalker was going to end for me. And I am in, in complete love with it. So, yeah, I would say. Only Rise of Skywalker because of the my connection to it since I was a kid. But everything else I think is phenomenal too. And this is great for Star Wars going forward.
2: Mm-hmm. Tim, what about you? Yeah, f- yeah, for me, my vote was going to go to the Rise of Skywalker. It's hard not to pick something that is the final chapter of the Skywalker saga. And for me personally, have it be such a satisfying ending to the eight previous movies that came before. And as you were alluding to, Paul, just being a fan of this franchise for my whole life. And as this one being built up as the final chapter of Skywalker saga, I mean, you could debate about if that's going to end up being true or not, but for right now it is with the directions they took the characters with Ray and Kylo and just the Skywalker lineage. I was just completely satisfied. And there was a chance that I couldn't have been happy with the way they ended things and the directions they took the characters. And I know for some people, it wasn't satisfying for them but thankfully for me i could say that it was and that's why my vote would go to the rise of skywalker is my favorite piece of star wars content this year but again that's not saying the mandalorian was something special in its own right because it really is it's just more on what the legacy of the rise of skywalker has and what it's trying to wrap up in that story of films i've been a fan of my whole, my whole life and that i was satisfied with it that's where it gets the nod but Geez, what an amazing time, not only to get all this stuff within the same year, but in regards to The Mandalorian and The Rise of Skywalker, getting it in the same weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> an episode, episode seven for The Mandalorian airing b- the day before the Thursday night preview screenings of The Rise of Skywalker. And then a week after we get the season finale. I mean, what a great Star Wars sandwich those two weeks <laughs> were with, you know, The Rise of Skywalker being the meat. And the Mandalorian episodes being the bread. So, yeah, it was a delicious Star Wars sandwich.
1: Yeah, and not only that, but, I mean, all of that content, the entire season of The Mandalorian, The Rise of Skywalker, and Jedi Fallen Order all came out within two months.
2: Yeah. This um,
1: so, yeah, it's it was a, a crazy amount of quality Star Wars content packed in there. Um, for me... For me, it's a tough choice between The Mandalorian and Jedi Fallen Order. I mean, Fallen Order really was just such a breath of fresh air to finally have a Star Wars game that came with, you know, universal critical acclaim and no big issues or controversies and had such a really great story. Um, But I think, like, if I had put this poll out, After Episode 7 of The Mandalorian, I would have said Jedi Fallen Order, but I think the finale of The Mandalorian puts it over the top for me. Um, It just ended on such a strong note, and I can't wait to go back and rewatch the entire season, and I can't wait to uh, get to see Season 2 and just see where they take this story and these characters from here. Um, And again, we'll talk about the finale more in detail in a little bit here, but... um, yeah, I I absolutely love that show. I love the action, I love the visuals, I love the soundtrack, I love the characters. Um, I love the just the lore building and the Mandalorian history and culture and stuff that it's incorporating. Um Jedi Fallen Order had a lot of jaw-dropping moments where I was sitting there playing by myself and I literally like had my mouth hanging open as I was watching what was playing out in the story. But The Mandalorian had a couple of moments where I was actually, like, yelling at the TV in excitement. So I will give The Mandalorian a slight edge there and say that was uh, my favorite Star Wars content from 2019. Um, And then we got some comments on that as well. Uh, Joshua at Castle Runner 87 said, Mando for 2019, but I'll be at Galaxy's Edge this weekend, so I'm beyond excited. Uh, Hassan Scarborough had a Kitster moment and said, The Mandalorian, of course. (laughs) <laughs> um, and then, uh, Brian Bailey just commented and said, uh, still haven't been to galaxy's edge yet, which I haven't either, but, uh, looking forward to going at some point. Um, and again, like I put that on there cause from people I've heard who have gone, it sounds like it's a really cool experience. And of course the, uh, rise of the resistance ride is opening this month. So the whole thing will kind of be fully operational. Um, Jin Urso lives. Uh, said, Jedi Fallen Order did everything right. I'm so happy about this game and its story. Um, and then Omar at Trojan Dude just said all of it with a gif of Queel saying, I have spoken. Um, and really, I mean, that's a good answer. You can't really go wrong with any of this stuff. It was such an awesome year for Star Wars. Um, and then, of course, the other poll that I put up uh, the next day on, on January 1st, I said, Happy New Year, Star Wars fans. What are you most looking forward to from the franchise in 2020? Um... And uh, the options were The Clone Wars Returning, The Mandalorian Season 2, Celebration Anaheim, and Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga, which was kind of the only thing I could think of to put as a fourth option because as of right now, I think that's the only video game that we have announced that we're getting this year. And I know there's some Lego Star Wars fans out there too, but um, that uh, came in last place with um, 3.2%. 6.5% said Celebration Anaheim. 36% said the Clone Wars returning, Um, and as much as I love The Mandalorian and I'm excited for Season 2, you guys know I am firmly firmly in that Clone Wars camp as far as what I'm most looking forward to. Um, But then The Mandalorian Season 2 took first place in the poll with 53.8%, which, again, makes perfect sense considering that that was what won out as the thing that people enjoyed the most in 2019. Um, And uh, immediately after the season ended, Jon Favreau tweeted about it and uh, posted a picture of a Gamorrean guard um, and said that uh, season two is coming in fall of 2020. So we don't know if that means fall like closer to September or closer to November, but um, good to know that season two is well underway and I can't wait to see uh, where they go with that. Um, But what about you guys? What are you most looking forward to uh, coming up this year?
2: Yeah, with the Mandalorian ending the way it did with season one, it would be hard not to pick season two as my most anticipated bit of Star Wars content for 2020. But it's like you, Kyle, it's hard not to pick the Clone Wars. And I think I am going to choose the Clone Wars just because we didn't think it was going to happen. We've had that awesome excitement of it being announced at Comic-Con almost two years ago now. And the fact that it's coming next month and it's almost here, it's just going to be a great way to kick off Star Wars in 2020. And I just cannot wait to see something that we thought we were never going to see. It was almost just a pipe dream. And we kept speculating or not even speculating, but just wishing that if only Lucasfilm could release the Siege of Mandalore as a movie, or just a way to wrap up the Clone Wars like George Lucas and Dave Filoni intended. That's all we're asking for we're getting that and we're getting more. And so Mm -hmm. it's just awesome that it's finally here. And after all that time wishing that it was going to happen and then getting excited about it when it was announced, the fact that it's almost here now, it's going to be my most anticipated bit of star Wars content coming for 2020. And like I said, what a great way to kick off this year of star Wars with getting new clone wars, but then we got the Mandalorian at the end of the year. So it's just going to be two great bit of star Wars television to kick off the year and in the year of 2020 but Clone Wars is gonna get my vote
0: yeah I, I think for me uh I personally am looking forward to the Mandalorian season two just because I think that the show is really special and I've just been so happy with it it's been everything I've wanted to see in something in Star Wars that's not saga film related and season one blew me away which we'll talk about here in ex- detail in a few minutes but uh, to be honest, I'm going to be a little selfish, uh, and I'm gonna just, just going to hint to both of you, I, I, I think something maybe next month besides the Clone Wars uh, thing, uh, Star Wars related, that I'm really excited about, which maybe we'll talk about at some point if we can get it all That's
2: very true. If, yeah. the stars
0: can, <laughs> if the stars can align, next month will be a very special month for for us. So we'll, we'll, we'll get more details about that eventually, but uh, I would say that might be my thing I'm looking forward to for, as far as Star Wars related stuff, uh, which, again, we'll, we'll just kinda, I'll tease you all with that. But as far as something else Star Wars related besides that, I would say Mandalorian and the Clone Wars. But I also think that there's a lot of announcements coming out that are going to be even maybe equally more exciting, which I know we're going to talk about potentially here in a second.
1: Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and like I said, it's it's definitely Clone Wars for me. I mean, for all those reasons you mentioned, Tim, like just the, I mean, that that show is so special to me. Um, you know, I've been a fan of it since day one and seen the progression from its rocky early seasons to the really solid, uh, you know, seasons like three through six Um And then, you know, was devastated when it was canceled, just like everybody else. And like you said, just hoping that we could get just maybe the Siege of Mandalore as just a few more episodes or as like a TV movie or something like that. And to be getting not only that story, but 12 more episodes, um, I'm just so excited. And seeing uh, the trailer that was released at Celebration, like it looks so good. Um, And honestly, like... I know it's been like a year and a half at this point since it was announced that it was coming back, but that's still one of my favorite moments Um, just as a Star Wars fan in recent years. Like I was so happy and got like so emotional um, just to find out that that was coming back. Um, I I still vividly remember that day at work and being on my phone and following the updates. And it was so hard to concentrate on work for the rest of the day because I was just so excited that Clone Wars was coming back. So
2: yeah, um, everyone was freaking out, but they didn't say why (laughs) on Twitter too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or people
1: just started saying more Clone Wars. Oh my gosh, we're getting more Clone Wars. And I was like, I need details. Yeah, (laughs) When, where, how many episodes? Um, But yeah, Yeah, we finally got all that. We got to, and I still periodically, just like when I want to, feel good. Like, I'll go watch videos on YouTube, like, from the trailer that they showed at Comic-Con that year. Like, people who recorded it from in the room and just seeing the audience reaction afterwards, like, still just puts a huge smile on my face. So, um, definitely looking forward to, uh, finally getting back into The Clone Wars. Um, and then, of course, we got some comments on you, from you guys on this poll as well. Um, Hassan Scarborough commented again and said, uh, "For him, it's Mandalorian season two, but Clone Wars and Lego Star Wars are two and three, respectively." Uh, Paul J at JJ Farms 31 just replied with a gif of a clone commando from the Republic Commando game, so I'm guessing he's excited about Clone Wars. Then um, Joshua at Castle Runner 87 said, That's a cheap move to make us pick between Clone Wars and Mandalorian. And he replied with a gif of Luke <laughs> from The Last Jedi, saying, like, That was a cheap move. To which I responded with just Ben Solo's shrug from uh, Rise of Skywalker. Um, and then Blade Runner Reno D uh, actually says, The new Thrawn book is what they're most looking forward to. Um, <clears throat> and then St- uh, Stefan Livesey. Uh, said definitely the Mandalorian season two after Dave Filoni gave us rebels. I'm not confident he has the cojones to make another clone Wars season work. Uh, Mm. (laughs) And I replied with a gif saying, I find your lack of faith disturbing because (laughs) even if rebels isn't for you, I mean, first of all, like go back and rewatch twilight of the apprentice and ignore the stupid parts with the flying helicopter sabers. The rest of that episode is amazing. Um, I mean, I get the rebels isn't for some people, but I, I really do think there's some good quality, uh, star Wars storytelling in that as well. Um, and especially like when I went back and rewatched the entire series, I think I enjoyed it and appreciated it more than I did when it was on TV for the first time, but also clone Wars is a whole different thing. And I mean, they're obviously still going off of stories that Dave developed with George Lucas when they were still working on the show together. So even if you don't trust Dave Filoni for some reason, which I don't know why you wouldn't, because he's like the Star Wars storyteller with the best track record working right now at Lucasfilm, in my opinion. Um, But I think these last Clone Wars episodes are just going to be amazing.
2: Yeah, and we're so close and that they still haven't released a real trailer for. it. Like you said, we got that one at Celebration, but the only way to see it is through the stream of the panel. So mm-hmm. we're so close now; they got to release something. You would think before now and then.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm hoping slash predicting like it's got to be out within a week or two. Like I think we got to get something at least at some point this month because it's coming out in February, and you know, especially they want to keep the Star Wars fans from canceling their Disney plus accounts as soon as the Mandalorian was over. I was surprised that we didn't get a trailer for clone wars. Like as soon as Mandalorian finished.
2: Um, yeah, it would have been a cool little tease to put at the end of the episode. Like they had that little rise of Skywalker scene that they snuck on episode seven to get a little you know preview of it. And it would have been cool if they did that with the clone wars, you know, the next new star Wars content coming on Disney plus clone Wars season seven. Here's a cool new trailer.
1: Yeah. Um, So who knows? I mean, hopefully we'll get something soon. It certainly would make sense for them to release something soon. Um, All we've got so far is um, we apparently have confirmation of a release date for at least the first episode. I'm guessing this is probably going to be released weekly like The Mandalorian was. Um, But we've heard reports that the the air date of the first episode is going to be February 17th which apparently was revealed in like an official video that Disney posted to their website or something of like upcoming Disney plus content that was then later deleted. So maybe take this with a grain of salt. Cause I don't know if that means that this just got released accidentally when it wasn't meant to, or if maybe that's not set in stone yet and they need to change some things and that's why they took it back down. Um, but Obviously, I mean, whenever we do get a trailer, I'm sure that'll have a release date on there. So hopefully we get that confirmation sooner than later. But at least as of right now, maybe pencil it in on your calendars. February 17th is probably when we're getting um, at least the first episode of uh, the new season of Clone Wars.
2: Yeah, and if not then, it's going to be somewhere right around there. It cannot be too far off. And February 17th is a Monday, which... The Mandalorian debuted on a Tuesday, which is when Disney Plus launched. But it, again, every episode came out on Friday. So it'll be interesting if it is the 17th, if that will be its official day of release, if they're going to do multiple, or if only one episode per week, and it's going to be Monday instead of Friday. So we'll see. I don't know. There's a part of me that's thinking, for Clone Wars anyway, they might do it a little different than The Mandalorian, where maybe it's not the entire 12 episodes, but maybe they'll release the whole arc of, in one day like they did uh, for them or not like they did with the Mandalorian, but how it's kind of an arc is a self-contained story and they want to put the whole thing out at once and not break it up into episode weekly releases. So I'm not sure how they're going to do it, but that's kind of how I would like to see it done is have it be where it is an arc released at a time. Cause that would be a cool way to have it where you're not releasing the whole bit of the new clone war season, but you're giving us fans enough content to, fully enjoy, because man, as hard as it was waiting week to week for the Mandalorian, at least it was you know forty to forty five minutes or in some cases thirty five minutes <laughs> a bit of new Star Wars content with Clone Wars have just being twenty minutes a week. I mean, we've lived through that before with this when the series first aired. But knowing what the these new formats of streaming and how sometimes you can release just one more than one episode, if not the entire season of a series it is hard not to think that maybe they could do something a little different where it's just more than one episode a week. At least that's what I'm hoping for.
1: Yeah. I mean, we'll see. Like, honestly, I did enjoy watching The Mandalorian week to week and, um, you know, just getting to digest every episode and getting new discussions and new theories and new Baby Yoda memes and all that kind of stuff like after each episode of it. And so um, I wouldn't be surprised and I wouldn't be disappointed if they take the same approach with Clone Wars because um I don't know it is nice to kind of space it out and and have more time to enjoy it and I know if they released it all on one day all in one day or even like one story arc a week or something I would probably like tell myself okay I'm gonna space this out and then I'd end up just binge watching it all at once so um but Really, I'm okay with however they want to give it to us. Yeah, um, of course, I'm not going to complain. Yeah, at all. <laughs> we're getting more Clone Wars episodes. That's the important thing. Um, but yeah, so I that's like I said, really, all we've got to go on right now is that it's it's supposedly going to be released the 17th. We'll see if we get a trailer soon or if we get uh, any more info on the release schedule or anything like that. And of course, we'll let you guys know if we find that out. Uh, we've also got uh, some rumors from Making Star Wars about the. Uh, potential future of I guess the saga the franchise you know not the Skywalker saga but um, they're saying that they've got some info from their sources at Lucasfilm and stuff about what the uh, sort of the next era of storytelling is going to be that we're moving into and they're claiming that the next series of movies that's coming out starting in 2022 is going to be set during what they're calling the High Republic era Um, so kind of at the height of the the Republic's sort of glory days and the the Jedi Order at the height of their power and all that kind of stuff. And it's supposedly going to be set around 400 years before the beginning of the prequels. So not quite Old Republic like we were hoping for, like not during the time of Darth Revan and all that kind of stuff. But um, the, some of the stuff they're saying in here is that like it's after the Rule of Two has been established. So... Um, there won't be, like, Sith armies running around. You know, if they do make the main villain a Sith Lord, you know, it'll probably be the same thing we've seen where there's just two of them. Um, also, they're saying that Yoda will be uh, involved as a character, um, but obviously not the sort of super powerful legendary Jedi Master that we know. Um, that I mean, I'm guessing at this point he'd be around 450 years old. Um, and... Now that we know from uh, the child in the Mandalorian, I mean, he's still an infant at 50 years old. So, um, you know, this would probably be like around a middle-aged Yoda, or sort of him in his prime as like a just a, a fully capable Jedi Knight or Jedi Master, um, but not quite, you know, that uh, Grand Master level yet. So that would be interesting to see. Um, as much as I would love to see them set it back even further and completely untether it from characters that we know from the movies and get way into the ancient lore and all that kind of stuff. And who knows? I mean, they may decide to incorporate some of that into this. Like maybe they don't want to go back 3000 years before, but they Mm -hmm. might take some of that stuff from the old Republic era and say, Oh, okay. Well in the new Canon, this takes place 400 years before the movies. I'd be fine with that too. Um, As I've said, like I don't want, I, I don't necessarily want, or at least expect like a straight up adaptation of the KOTOR video game or anything like that. I just want to see some of those elements and characters incorporated into the new Canon in some way. And I'm okay, honestly, with them changing it because you know, those legacy stories will always be there. Um And then there yeah. also, there's, there were some rumors from another site that they quoted in this uh, a site called zero.hu. Um, and they had another scoop talking about project luminous, which we've, also heard about. And, you know, we're kind of wondering what that was all about. And it's supposed to be this big publishing initiative that comes out this year. And they've announced some authors that are attached to it, but haven't really talked about exactly what it is. Um, But they're saying that Project Luminous is going to be like a big uh, sort of multimedia campaign that's going to, again, all be kind of set within this same time frame, but it's going to involve like books, comics, video games, that are all going to establish different things within, you know, different stories, different characters within this time period. And so it's going to be a lot of separate stories in these games and and books and movies and stuff that then all kind of interconnect, sort of like the MCU. Um, That's what they're comparing it to, where, you know, you have these standalone movies that you can enjoy on their own, but then they all kind of interweave to tell a a bigger narrative. And then, you know, there's TV shows and stuff that go along with it that kind of help flesh it out even more. Um, So, you know, definitely some, some interesting uh, scoops here, and it'll be interesting to see how much of this pans out to be true. I'm sure we'll get some of this announced throughout the year, um, whether we have to wait till celebration or get, you know, some of this stuff announced sooner, who knows, but uh, what would you guys think about this?
0: I think this is a, Kind of a big thing, to be honest, because I think this is something that um, we, we've been talking a lot about this. And we talk, I talked a lot about where Star Wars goes afterwards. It had to go. It couldn't go forward past the sequel trilogy. It needed to give that era a rest. It needed to go further back. And I don't know if I like the idea of go, only going back 400 years yeah, I think I think it I think it needs to go back farther personally. But this, again, this is all rumor at this point. We don't know exactly how far everything is. But as we know, Jason Ward is pretty connected. And, and when he says something like this, it usually it's usually right. So there, if there is if he's not 100 percent on the money, he's probably not too far off. And so I think that with this it's interesting because i almost think that project luminous from what he talked about sounds way more sounds really interesting at this point because i think it's project luminous that said that it's might feature jedi going out into the unknown regions and facing off against new enemies and, and maybe ancient sith gods or whatever and that is really fascinating that stuff gets me pumped because that is totally up my alley and that brings that mystical element that I love about Star Wars. I love Star Wars regardless, but my favorite is when we get into like the super deep mythological ideas that the fantasy elements that I really connect the most with. Uh, that being said, I think there's a lot to, to be excited about here, too, because I, I don't like you said, Kyle, we don't know exactly what they're taking, what it, what it's going to be told what exact era it's going to be. And we don't know that these characters, like we love from the old Republic are going to be in the same era that we thought they were going to be in. So like we have Darth Tenebrous in, uh, the Sith, uh, Exegol thing or, or part of the Sith, whatever, uh, trooper initiative, whatever that thing is. Sorry. I can't think of the name. Um, Garrison, excuse me, probably think of uh, troop Garrison. And we know Revant, uh, you know, Ch- Ch- Tenebrous, whatever. But, in in Legends, he wasn't that far away from Darth Sidious. Yeah, <laughs> you know it was so. It's not so that was kind of peculiar to me. And so I, what I'm trying to say to you all is that maybe Darth Revan or Revan, maybe want to be Darth Revan. It'll be Revan. Maybe Revan will be in the in the High Republic, which is a weird thing to say, by the way. I'm not into the idea of calling it a High Republic, but whatever. But maybe Revan is going to be in the High Republic era, but it's not. But he's not going to be or she is my friend, Seth likes to always point out, but again, whatever Revan is, what if Revan is not a Darth, but is something, you know, they use that to explain a different side of the dark side. Again, dark side's not just going to be the Sith. And I think this is a great opportunity to really jump into that idea that it's more, the, the force is more than the Jedi and it's more than the Sith. The Jedi are the, the keepers of the peace. Yes but they are not necessarily the only ones that are dabbling in it. And what exactly does that mean? And what does that mean for them defending things with lightsabers and what you can market and whatever. So I think that's what you got to think about. This is what exactly are they going to be putting in here? That's going to be marketable for them to make a zillion toys of, and for kids and adults to be you know, saying, I have to have this, I have to have this and, and whatever you got to think of, you got to think of it along those lines. And I think that, when you think about that, you gotta have you gotta have lightsabers clashing lightsabers, whether they're red, blue, green, purple, yellow, orange, rainbow colored. I don't know. Like, <laughs> but but my point is, you gotta make you 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 want to start exploiting the Jedi more than what you have in the sequel trilogy. Because mm-hmm. let's face it, I think I I apologize if, if I if I misspoke here. I think you said it today, or maybe it was somebody else. I to mean, listen to a podcast. Someone I heard today say that part of the problem of the sequel trilogy is that there wasn't really a lot of Jedi in it. And it was just kind of Kylo and Rey, and that's it. And that's kind of my problem, too. You kind of expect the Jedi to kind of be around, and and they weren't. And again, sequel Mm. trilogy tells its own story, but they need to really embrace the Jedi and and the dark side and really go and dive deep into that. Yeah, I I wasn't
1: the one who said that, but I totally agree with it. I mean, especially it's it's kind of a tragedy that – we skip forward 30 years in the timeline and the fact that Luke Skywalker established a new Jedi Academy is just kind of backstory. And we never actually get to see that on screen. I would have loved that story.
0: Right. Right. And so I think that there's a lot, I think Disney and Luke and most importantly, I I say Disney and Lucasfilm. I think Lucasfilm is, is learned a lot from the sequel trilogy. And I think now more than ever, they really want to have more of a game plan, not just from a film like structure standpoint, but I think just a project standpoint. I think that project luminous, as we, as we get, if you read both the, both the things, they both line up and it's interesting. I don't think Jason would report something that he did. He couldn't independently verify that was, you know, it did it's unrelated to them. I don't think he's just piggybacking off of that. Just to, you know, clicks. Uh, I could be wrong, but I know Jason somewhat and, I, I do think that he would he wouldn't just do that for the sake of doing it unless he actually heard some legit stuff with it so that all being said, if you read both reports they are very interesting and but it just you just don't know exactly what they're going with and i I do have to think that capitalizing on names like Revan and things like that are definitely in the future and again, we don't know that it, this is this is the one thing I will say that i I, I think we got to really take it into the grain of salt what exactly does it mean to have a series of films? Are they all going to be interconnected with the same timeline, meaning around 400 years of the High Republic? Or is it going to, and what I think is going to be like a, a true anthology where it's going to be jumping around all over the place? Like maybe one will be 400 years, one will be 2000 years, and maybe they might connect because maybe there's a Sith thing that connect, you know, down the line or whatever. We don't know. And again, I hope they leave themselves room to tell any kind of story they want to, because I don't think you know, you can't be like Marvel. And that's the one thing I read in this that that you could kind of tell that maybe they're going that route is that whole we have to connect everything to everything at Marvel. And, and what I mean by that is by films that we have to have this film lead into that film and this film into that film. And there's a danger with that, I think, w- when you're not Marvel. And I think Star Wars, you can tell different stories and not have it all be interconnected like a Marvel cinematic universe, but in the same universe, but just different things going on and, and people can get that. And I think that if you have different films set in different times, I mean, again, 2,000 to 400 years before Phantom Menace or whatever, people are going to get that and you can still, and they're going to understand, especially if you have a series of films about Jedi, they're going to get that, you know, different things. So I have a couple of questions I've, I want to pose to you both of you about this. And I know it's really early for one, but one, I'm going to say, I'm curious what you guys are and you guys are going to shoot it down, so whatever. But maybe we'll do a poll, which I know got destroyed. But anyway, I prefer the name No Republic in anything. I actually prefer the old name, Tales of the Jedi. And, not, and it's not just because I think that Chels, I love the Tales, Tales of the Jedi comic books, I do. Well, at least the, the, the first ones. The Golden Age of the Sith is
2: awful. Um, but no, it has its bright spots. <laughs> we well, can debate see, on well, that too. Well I'll, <laughs>
0: well, I'll talk to you uh, some other time about it because I, have, I haven't read it in a long time, Kyle or Tim. And I, yeah, we'll we'll talk. But what I what I think would be cool, I think Tales of the Jedi is better than the Eight Nights of the Old Republic or anything Old Republic because you focus on the Jedi, not the Republic. And I think mm-hmm. that's what we want to see. We don't want to see. People in in boardrooms and things like that. No, 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 we want to see Jedi in boardrooms talking about lightsabers and Sith and Dark Side and checking things out. And that to me is Tales of the Jedi, and I think that'd be a really grabbing. T- That's a grabbing title to me, and I think that most people, uh, mainstream audience, would gravitate towards. Oh, Tales of the Jedi. That's like about. You immediately know that it takes place probably before. Uh, Luke Skywalker and all that because there, there's not a lot of Jedi in that time frame, so it would make sense. So, I think you immediately know people immediately the mainstream audience can say, Oh, old tales, whatever it's kind of it evokes that idea, and I love that. So, I'm curious one, if you guys like that prefer or prefer that potentially with Knights of the Republic, would that be what I just said? Second thing is, does this now the, the saga is over? This the Skywalker saga is over. Can you now use crawls? in these in this new films potentially and i think yes but that's just me if it's a film series you can label it a tales of the jedi and you could even put the tales of the jedi thing above it and then like the title of the film or whatever it is underneath it um if that makes sense so just a couple uh things to throw at you uh curious your thoughts but tim obviously you you have your own thoughts on this but later on if you guys could circle back i'm very curious what you think
2: yeah, I'll go ahead and answer that right now. Um, okay. I do love Tales of the Jedi oh, as a title for this series. I think it would be really cool. And as for the crawl, I'm going to say yes, because Star Wars has done that before. In, mainly in video games, a lot of the games would begin with a crawl, uh-huh. and it would say Night Tales of the Old Republic, Chapter 2 or Episode 2, something like that, where you get Star Wars as the main title, the title of your series, and then the chapter number or episode number. So it's not some out of... Nowhere that we haven't seen Star Wars do before when it's the crawls and not with the saga films. So I'd be all for that because there is something special about seeing the opening crawl and just the main theme of Star Wars, the logo just jump right at you at the screen. And I don't think we want to lose that for all future Star Wars films just because the Skywalker saga is done. So, yeah, I'd all be I'd be all for that. But as far as this report and what the possibility of this new film series going to be, I'm excited for it. And at the same time, too, there's a part of me that's curious about the direction they will go for it if it is only 400 years in the past, because that's what took me by surprise in this report, that it was only going to be 400 years, because as a lot of us were assuming, if they were going to go backwards in time for these new movies, they'd be way back, um, thousands of years even, if they're really going to draw from Knights of the Old Republic. And while I don't think it's a bad thing that it's going to be 400 years, because if Yoda's going to be a main character in this film series where he's young and in his prime. I mean, sign me up for that. I mean, I would love to see Yoda uh, be or see him when he's not the old wise Jedi that we all know and love, but see him more as in his prime and someone not as experienced and maybe a little more um, brass and just eager to do things and not just as someone who's overly cautious, but does things recklessly maybe possibly. And we s- learn to where he got all his wisdoms and, uh, so all that stuff with the character would be great to see, but the thing that I think they might have to be careful on, or they could retcon it also, but we know that a thousand years before the Phantom Menace, the Jedi believed that the Sith were extinct. And so that kind of hinders themselves as far as having many encounters with the Sith, or if we're talking about mm-hmm. the Sith army and Jedi versus Sith and having a big battle with that, as much as we'd love to see that. I don't think you can do that in that time period if it is only 400 years. It would have to be something where maybe a Sith Master or a Sith Apprentice exposes himself and he either gets killed with the Jedi not knowing he's a Sith or he takes out the Jedi he encounters so their secret stays safe. But it's going to be something they have to be careful is how far they want to have the Sith be exposed in that time period if that is the direction they go with. And
0: and that's why I said, Tim, that I think that if they if it is 400 years, they're introducing a whole new dark side enemy that's not the Sith, and I think that'd be fine. I, I think as mm, long yeah, again, I'd be all for that as long as there's lightsabers, right? And there, yeah, which there obviously like, will
1: be from the Jedi at the very least.
0: Well, the Jedi, yeah, but I mean, like, you want to have red lightsaber or lightsabers clashing, just like in Obi Wan, uh, the Kenobi and Obi Wan, or sorry, the the Obi Wan and Qui Gon book that we got from Claudia Gray that you had lightsabers taking on lightsabers with with real Avaros and things like that. Like people, there was clashing there and you, they weren't like battling Sith necessarily, but they were battling using lightsabers at some point or something like that in the, in the story. So I think that's what I'm trying to beat, beat this drum on is that there has to be some kind of lightsaber versus lightsaber action, whether it be, a Jedi turning, and it's a turning not to Sith. Again, not to Sith, and that's why I think Revan. The name Revan is su- it's just such a such a great name. that's not you don't need the Darth name in front of it. So you could just call someone Revan, and they could be you know turning to the dark side. And again, dark side does not mean Sith. So yeah, I think I think I'm gonna give that to you in a second. I think that's the key thing here. I think that you could still have. Potentially, many red lightsabers versus many green and blue, and maybe a few purple, and there are yellow, uh, in, in that battle as well. But you could, it wouldn't mean necessarily Sith, and you could write around that because the Sith are a very just, dis- you know, obviously distinct group. So, but I, like you said, I kind of wish it would be more of the you know, J- Jedi versus Sith, but. Maybe this is a precursor. Maybe this will be them kind of testing the waters and trying to create something new. And I wouldn't befall, I wouldn't begrudge them that, that idea either because, let's be real, we just got done with the Jedi versus Sith, you know, with the Skywalker saga. Maybe we need a new enemy we don't know about, these Sith gods that one of the reports talks about. So, anyway, sorry. I didn't mean yeah. to take over your... And point.
1: even if they're not Sith, I mean, I would be totally cool too with having them fight someone like... Night Sisters, where you saw like Mother Talzin essentially had yeah. a, a lightsaber duel yeah. against Mace Windu with a, a magic like blade, yeah. or you know you've got Pre-Vizla with the dark saber. You've got you know we've seen all kinds of like energy weapons like electro staffs and vibro blades and stuff. So you could still have a way to have exciting combat in ga- like involving lightsabers where the other person doesn't necessarily have to have a red lightsaber, um, but could still give the Jedi some really cool new enemies to fight. And I would be totally down for that too. But I also think. I mean, you're totally right, Tim, when you said like they'd have to write around the idea of like you can't just have the Jedi openly fighting the Sith because they think the Sith don't exist at this point. But I think also, especially the, the fact that it's mentioned in this report, like I have to wonder if they'll still be involved in the story somehow. Like maybe whatever enemy the Jedi do go up against is being controlled by the Sith or the Sith are influencing that conflict and the Jedi just don't even know about it. Um, or something like at that. I the same time, be cool too.
2: Yeah, it would. but At the same time, it is a little similar to what we've seen Palpatine do in the Skywalker saga. I think if they really want to use the Sith again, let's go full blown out with it. Have a Sith army against the Jedi army. That's where I. Oh, think and of to course I want to. I, of course I want to see that too. Yeah. So I'd rather them not use the Sith in this era if it, o- it is only four hundred years and just have it be something totally new. And let's save the Sith to use them again when you go way back. And you just have a full sets army. And I like that idea where you were talking about, Paul, where if it is going to be a series of film that's connected with each other and you have one that's 400 years um, set before the movies and then you got one that's connected or set a thousand years, but yet it's connected and tied in with the other one. So if they do stuff like that, that would be really awesome. And you get these different avenues and different villains and threats that you can use in these different movies, but yet they all connect to this one huge story so there's definitely a lot of cool possibilities in different directions that they can go with this it's just the 400 years thing did surprise me with all the stuff we were hearing about you know wanting to do knights of the old republic at some point and maybe sooner than we thought so but when i saw that 400 years it made me think okay maybe they're gonna go in a different direction than that but yet they could still like you guys said incorporate elements from that into this but again i just feel we gotta be careful unless you're gonna do a full-blown complete retcon on the history of the Sith and the Jedi to to what you can use with the Sith in that time period. So it is exciting. We're just going to be curious to see how they handle it and which direction they want to go in this era that they're talking about here. Again, if it's all accurate, we're not going to know for sure until it's officially announced, and then we can really go full-blown into speculation and dissecting the information that we get when it's announced. But it is definitely a cool possibility, I think.
1: Yeah. I also, I mean, I like the title, like, uh, if this does turn out to be accurate and that the project luminous would all be set during this era. Um, I think it's a fitting title. Like it's kind of mysterious, but you know, it makes you think of that line in empire strikes Back, where Yoda says luminous beings. Are we not this crude matter? And if you know, the whole era is really dealing with like the height of the Jedi order, I think that's a perfect title for it. Um, yeah. But we'll see. I know, Who knows, that could even just be like a code name that they're using for now until they finally blow the lid off this thing. So uh, definitely looking forward to finding out more later this year and finding out um, officially what this is all going to be about. Um, but then, of course, lastly, I mean, that's pretty much it as far as news and rumors and stuff that we've got to speculate on for right now. I'm sure we'll get more as uh, the year starts ramping up. But um, like I said, the last time we talked about The Mandalorian was... I think we were just up to episode six and we were looking forward to those last couple episodes. Um, now that we've got episodes seven and eight, I want to just talk about uh, those two episodes and the season as a whole um, and, and our views on it. Obviously we talked about it a little bit earlier with the poll and just how much we enjoyed the Mandalorian and how um, that was one of our favorite star Wars things from last year. But um, just, you know, a brief, Recap, and obviously, we'll be talking spoilers here, so you know, maybe tune out at this point if you haven't watched The Mandalorian yet. Um, but of course, episode seven, we see uh, The Mandalorian. Fi- I love that we finally see the crew coming together that we kind of thought we were gonna get the whole time, and then it turned out like, oh, we're just getting one off episodes with Queel or with Cara Dune or IG 11. Um, but I love that we saw them all come back together in these final couple episodes, and The Mandalorian did have his little posse for this job. Um, Where he's reuniting with Grief Karga, he's kind of willing to bury the hatchet, and they're going against their common enemy, which is the client, whose name we still don't know, but it's Werner Herzog's character, um, who was sending out the bounties for the child and stuff, and he's like, um, you know, so they're gonna go pretend to deliver the, the child to the client. And um, but they're going to take him out and, you know, because he's been making life tough for Grief Karga. And so he's like, hey, Mando, come back here and, you know, I'll clear your name with the Bounty Hunters Guild if you help me take this guy out. Um, So that's their plan. But things don't go according to plan because while they're there with the client, Moff Gideon shows up with his squad of stormtroopers and death troopers and scout troopers. And uh, (laughs) you could like, I could hear Tim's fanboying all the way over in California from where I was. Um, And he shows up, he he shows up and kills the client uh, is just willing to take his own guy out for uh, basically just for failing to realize that the Mando is, is about to double cross him. Like the they're trying to kill the client and they don't actually have the child with them. Um, and queel has got the child and he's taken him back to Mando's ship. Um, and, uh, yeah, just Moff Gideon makes this, you know, makes a big impression right off the bat, shows you that he's no nonsense. He's willing to kill his own guys. He's top dog. And he also is very perceptive and knows what's going on. Um, and he's got, you know, his scout troopers are like tuned into the calm frequency. And so they hear, Mando talking to Queel, and the scout bikers take off after him, and they they actually gun down Queel and take the child, and that's how Episode 7 ends, and uh, I gotta say, I was not expecting that, and that was, like, that hit me, man, like, you don't even see Queel get shot, it's just the way, like, it's edited so well where it's cutting between Moff Gideon giving his little monologue and Mando, you know, hiding in the bar and being like, Queel, come in, you know, get back to the ship. And then you see Queel riding on the Blurg and you see the scout troopers going after him and it's just cutting back and forth between all of them. And you cut to Queel and then you cut back to Mando and then you cut back and the child is just on the ground and the, the biker scouts scoop him up and ride away. And then the camera just tilts up and you see Queel's lying dead on the ground like we didn't even see him get shot. You're just kind of wondering what happened. And it's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they actually got him. Because also IG-11 was back on the ship. And I don't know about you guys, but I thought he was going to step out and save him. Um, because, of course, it's revealed earlier in the episode that Queel has program- reprogrammed IG-11, who he found uh, you know, dead in the aftermath of the battle from the first episode. And he's reprogrammed him to basically be like a, a nursing droid um, who, you know, helps out and takes care of people, and he's uh, he's going to take care of the child. Um, but he also says that, like, he can—he's he still—he's not an assassin droid anymore, but he can still defend if necessary. And so I thought as they got closer to the ship that IG-11 was going to come out and save Queel from the Biker Scouts, but— um that wasn't what happened and uh i was surprised cuz i mean he was probably my favorite character in the show at least right off the bat like maybe not by the end of it but in those first couple episodes he really made a big impression and of course everybody was quoting the i have spoken and so you know he's such a fan favorite character and i was it, it was really like impactful and shocking that uh you know that he died protecting the child like that at the end but was he your uh,
0: favorite character more than the Mandalorian himself no
1: no no that's what I'm saying in the first couple episodes yes because we hadn't really like I I definitely liked the Mandalorian and he was cool but we hadn't really gotten to know him that much as a character yet and Queel is just one of those like supporting characters that really made a big impact on me by the end of the show no I would say like Mando and Baby Yoda are top two um, and especially as we find out more about his backstory and we find out his name and, you know, we've, we've seen more of him and gotten to know more of his personality and stuff. Um, I definitely would say like Mando or Din jaren as we know him now um, is probably my favorite character in the show. But Queel was the one that I like connected with most right off the bat in those first couple episodes.
2: Yeah, that penultimate episode was just fantastic. And not from, uh, like, all oh, the action on this is amazing, like the third episode was, but just from the suspense and the character interactions that we got in this episode was so great. Like you mentioned at the beginning, Kyle, where to finally see the main core group of characters that uh, we were introduced to before the show was even airing, like Cara Dune and Grief Karga and Queel, to see them all interacting together in this episode, it was fantastic, especially uh, Queel and Cara Dune kind of not getting along right off the bat. Um, Her not taking too kindly that he worked for the Empire, even though he was a slave to the Empire, and him having kind of approved to her that it was not by choice, and he earned his freedom that he has now. So all that character interaction was great. And just the banter that they've had together was fantastic. And then, like I said, the suspenseful moments that you got in this episode, even the, I don't know what they're called, but those like dragon creatures that attacked them during the night, and they were trying to survive that attack it was really cool and a, a cool action sequence that was different from the show. And then just that tension you feel when Moff Gideon arrives. And like he said, he had a presence just right away when he began speaking uh, to our heroes who were just trapped in that that room there. And how can I not be excited? Like he said, those Death Troopers showed up just when they were mowing down. You didn't see them from the outside, but when we saw those blaster shots going through that room and just taking down everyone in there. I knew right away who was on the other side. <laughs> just based off the trailers of the shots, we've seen them all lined up. I knew it was the Death Troopers doing damage. It was awesome. But yet more great stuff was going to come later on in the next episode. But there there is a lot of great stuff. And like you said, ended on a really great cliffhanger with the death of Quill. And I even was talking to some people who didn't believe that he was dead, where it was part of their plan, where he was faking it. But I was like, uh, I don't, I think he's dead. It was because the way it was shot and done, like you said, it was really impactful. It made you feel for the death of that character who we've come to love over the course of the episodes we've seen him in. And mm-hmm. to have it just be a stage thing and it was a fake out kind of would have lessened it a bit in my opinion. So even though it was sad to see him go, it was still very effective. And I'm glad that was the direction they took it. So yeah, it was just a great penultimate episode that just really made you excited to see how it's all going to wrap up in the season finale. And I was a little worried that the finale wasn't going to be able to wrap everything up as nicely as it could be because there's just so much to do. And this has just come from me wanting or expecting to happen in the finale where, Oh, they'd have to um, wrap up the story with baby Yoda because I was always under the impression that baby Yoda was just going to be a season one character and just a story arc that was going to conclude this season and not expand beyond that. And we'll get into this more when we talk about the actual finale, but Before that, I was thinking, how are they going to wrap all this up? They're going to escape from Moff Gideon. they got to get Baby Yoda to someone uh, to where he would be safe. And all the characters have to get out of this situation. And so there's tons of bunch of stuff where I didn't know they were going to be able to wrap it up in time or in a satisfying way with the time that they have in one single episode. But um, before we get into the discussion on that finale, I'll just say I was glad to be wrong in that because I think they did a great job with ending things in this first season but what a great Mm -hmm. lead up into what was an even better finale Mm -hmm.
0: I think for me there's one thing we're forgetting about this season of The Mandalorian that I think has been underrated and needs to be brought to the attention that the best content we've gotten all year (laughs) and that was totally anticlimactic because it's muted so Uh, (laughs) he's trying to eat me
2: He's trying to eat
0: me. So, <laughs> Grief Karga, tell uh, you know, in pain with one of those dinosaur creatures uh, coming at after them, and then baby yoda going to save him and he literally just puts his hand on his wound and he goes he's trying to eat me it's so <laughs> funny man i have like watched that and laughed for like an hour straight just, la- just watching that on loop and it
2: was a great moment but you made me love that even more paul <laughs> it's it,
0: and and it's weird because the when that episode dropped because around it was right around right of skywalker yeah the it was like what yeah.
1: the day before
0: was, yep. it, was it was episode seven the day before? It was yep. well.
1: T- I mean, technically two days before. It was on the eighteenth. But yeah, it was the day yeah, before, yeah the, the day yeah, before yeah. we all saw it.
0: Yeah, and so I got really excited about it, and then obviously they had the finale the next week, and so I just but Rise of Skywalker. Was, I'm I'm riding high on that, and again because I avoided spoilers for Rise of Skywalker, I just was on cloud nine, and not saying I can't consume more Star Wars in the meantime, but. had Christmas. I mean, there was just a lot going on right around then. So I just did not have a chance to really sit down and get those episodes, those last few episodes, a real thorough viewing, you know what I mean? And so when I, when I finally was able to watch them multiple times, preparing for the uh, faster, more intense podcast that me and Tim uh, jumped on, I had to jump on and off that show unfortunately because i got stuff for work coming on but but re- regardless I, I ended up watching them a number of times and i didn't love the the episode seven as much as the uh as i thought i just didn't like it initially but after watching it a few times i love it and man deborah chow just she i i'm so excited that she's doing the kenobi series i it just oh, yeah. it, 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 great. it feels it's I mean, honestly,
1: awesome. in a selfish way, I'm almost disappointed that she's not going to be directing more episodes of The Mandalorian. But at the same time, it is also great to know that the Kenobi series is in good hands.
0: Well, I, and also, and, and, and not to say like Jon Favreau is the reason why Deborah Chow and Rick Fimiama and Dave Filoni and all these other directors and Taika Waititi are the reason why The Mandalorian is so great. But let's, I trust Jon Favreau directing and picking the right people and, and everyone and, and being able to pick the right people in, in a sense to where he knows and, and tells them what he wants to do. And, and they have their own artistic freedom, obviously. And, and I, I think that one of the things I love about these episodes is that they don't have a different feel to them, but they're not, abrasive enough to where you're saying, man, this person is like really like, wow. You know, mm-hmm. I, 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 I would say the closest thing you can maybe have that was maybe unfortunately Dave Filoni in, in the episode five or a lot of people ragging on that episode, which I think is unfair personally. But that being said, I also think that I could see where people, it was a little more jarring compared to everything else. Even Dave's first episode, which I thought was again, pilots and first episodes are tough to, to nail. But that being said, Deborah Chow's two episodes are phenomenal and great and, I, and like I said, the third episode I I don't love it maybe as much as everyone else does the ending's incredible I love it but I for some reason don't connect to it as as well as maybe episode two and uh Rick, Rick Fumiama's episodes that he did but Deborah Chow that episode seven is now up there and it's it moves a lot of character there's a there's not as much action in it but it's also there's a lot of great moments in it and I think that's why I love it. And it progresses the characters. She adds to the drama. It's, it's, it's great. And I, I just love it. I, I just love it. And I, I think that she is, again, I, like you said, Kyle, it's a bummer, but at the same time, I'm glad Kenobi is with someone that really knows Star Wars and can direct really great episodes. And yeah, like I said, it's, I was for whatever reason, I just not connect to those two episodes or that first that episode seven as much as I thought I was going to. And I have I love it now, especially that episode where the creatures come in at night. That is so freaking cool. And again, we haven't really had that in Star Wars before besides maybe Clone Wars. Right. But not live action. Mm. And it was really cool to get like a more horror aspect in Star Wars. And again, it was nice to kind of get something different. With Star Wars, right? I mean, it was because we have not really seen that, and I think we'd all say that Clone Wars was able to really mask and and put different things in it in their in their episodes to give it some real different feel. That that's what makes Star Wars so great. You can tell any kind of story with it. I think the Mandalorian has only enhanced that and taken that idea from from Clone Wars of that Star Wars. You can do any kind of story with Star Wars, and you're elaborating that with, with this live action show. And you're seeing that in the season. And I think episode seven is a great example. It has many different things going on in it. It's people going on an adventure whether they're traveling by themselves, kind of to like a, like a old school Western, if you will, where they're on a trail and they're trying to get back home. And when they get there, they face the, the, the outlaws or the, or the or whatever, you know, and that's the empire. And the empire has got all the crazy things, but then you have the cool troop transport come in and, it is just which, by the way, see that in live action. How, I mean, that yeah, is, I loved that. <laughs> that was honestly, I was not prepared for that because I was I, when I, remember, I remember when I first saw it, I went, what? And, it, and I, I'm from someone that I never had that as a kid. I always wanted one, but I remember seeing it and always thinking, like, that's cool. And seeing that in rebels was really cool. Right. That, that I felt that was, I felt gratification in seeing that as like an old school star Wars fan. Right. That felt like that's all I was going to get. And I was very happy with that. Not knowing that was coming and that coming up was like, Whoa, I was blown away and I could not believe. And that of course was probably a Dave Filoni thing. And God bless that man for being on the show because we're getting great things like that. Mm -hmm. And and I and I just want to really quick. I know we got on the, this finale, but I just want to say that things like that—that's fan service, but that's fan service done right. And I want to make that very clear that I think the Mandalorian. And I, I think this is where people uh, Rob Liefeld, and that's a very you know jarring name here, but bear with me, <laughs> uh, Tim. I know you know who that is. I don't know, I'm not sure yeah. if Cal Um Rob Liefeld, an artist. He draws feet really terribly, but he's, I think,
2: <laughs> but, but, but uh, Deadpool pointed out in the sequel. <laughs>
0: you know what though? I, I think Rod Lefeld is, is a good artist still, but anyway, he brought up a good point. He was said, he was discussing with his buddy and he said, I, you know, when, when the Mandalorian does fan service, everyone loves it. When Scott, right. Skywalker does fan service, everyone like loses their minds and, and get, has a, you know, is kind of split down the middle about it. And it's funny. Cause that is something that I think is, is very, a big, big talking point for fans in general. And I think that the reason I bring that up all is Mandalorian has done a phenomenal job of handling fan service while also doing, trying to do something different in itself. And I think that the reason why I think rise of Skywalker and the Mandalorian are different as far as, cause they are definitely trying to do fan service. And I, I don't, I don't think that's no mistake. The Mandalorian does a great job of it because it does a great job balancing new with old. And I think that is the pivotal thing in this with, especially with the Mandalorian in this episode specifically, because of that, you get those creatures coming at night. They're, you know, it's a great, it's a great moment. It really is a great moment. And then you have baby Yoda, you know, they're trying to eat me it was hilarious. And, and, but then you, you, you fast forward and you have all of a sudden all this garrison of a, a bajillion of stormtroopers, you have death troopers and you're like, Oh man, so cohesive. And then all of a sudden the troop transport comes and you're like, Oh my God. It's so, I mean, like it, it just, it, it does a great job of building off things, and not only that, but like one of the creatures that is falling with grief, Carga is a is a Klatoonian, I believe, and it's a uh, it's someone from Java's palace or an alien we've seen in Jabba's palace, and we've seen him also in in this in season one. And so these reoccurring things that we're getting throughout the season, and 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 Easter eggs and whatnot, and like the EV nine droid, the, supervi- the supervisor droid from episode five, I was in Jeff's palace. Those things go a long way with us as fans. And I think that the Mandalorian is balancing that better than anyone could ever expect. And I think that if going forward with, with star Wars and now the sequel trilogy is over and they can lay a lot of those main parts of star Wars to rest, like the skywalkers for now and, and, and et cetera. And all those things associated with them now you can really start doing something new but in in trying to give you know breathe it some of that the that old fa- fan service and i don't think fan service is a bad thing but easter eggs fan service whatever and blend it with new and make it to where it appeals to as many people as possible as best you can like the mandalorian i think the mandalorian is is, is a great example of how you do it right not it's not the formula to do it for everything obviously But it's a good example of what it's what it can do when it's done right. And I think episode Mm. seven is a great example of that.
1: Yeah, I think episode seven is a great example of it. And the show in general is a great example of it. Um, Yeah, I I think you I think you hit the nail on the head right there. Like there's there is a lot of fan service that's peppered in that doesn't distract from the story at all. Like it feels like it makes sense for it to be there, especially like with that troop transport. That's a little background thing that only the hardcore fans like us are going to notice but it makes sense. Like stormtroopers are arriving and it makes sense for them to have a little transport that they get out of. And it's not, you know, the, the episode never takes a moment to like put it front and center and, you know, give it a wink and a nod and, and take away from the storytelling momentum of that moment. So, um, and I think there's a lot of moments like that in the show. There's one in the finale too, that we'll talk about. Um, but yeah, so episode seven was a, a great penultimate episode. um, and like you said, Tim, I mean, there was a lot to wrap up going into the finale. And I mean, my biggest question was just how are they going to get out of this? Like, and I, I figured IG-11 was going to show up, but I was like, there's so many stormtroopers and death troopers and stuff like IG-11 just walking up and, and shooting people. They're all just going to turn and gun them down. So it's got to be something more than just that. Like, are the Mandalorians going to show up? Is somebody else going to show up? Is You know, are the the New Republic going to show up? Like, what's going to going to happen here? Um so we go into the finale, first of all, directed by Taika Waititi, and it starts with the most Taika Waititi scene <laughs> I've ever seen in my life, and I loved it, even though it involved Stormtroopers punching Baby Yoda, which I was like, wow, we're really going with punching babies here, but still, like, um, <clears throat> just the dialogue between these two Um, scout troopers, which these are the same guys that just gunned down Queel. So to then put them in a comedic scene in the next episode was kind of surprising, but it just worked so well. Like, they're there with the child, they're waiting for orders to approach the base and stuff, and uh, the guy on the other end is like, you might want to wait a second, like Moff Gideon just killed somebody for, you know, he killed one of his own men for disobeying his orders or something, so uh, stand by, you know, give him a minute to cool down, they're like, okay, okay, cool, and they're just sitting there, like, talking about what's in the bag. One guy's like, Hey, let me see it. He's like, no, 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 you don't want to make Moff Gideon mad by messing with this thing. So just, you know, chill. And they're just bantering back and forth. And then at one point they just, you know, they're, they're kind of sitting around, they stop talking and they pull their blasters out and decide to start shooting at this like can or whatever it is. that's on the ground. And they're missing it from like 10 (laughs) feet away. It was just so funny. And then of course, I G 11 does show up. This is after they start smacking the baby, Um, and he's like, uh, you know, I must ask you to stop doing that. And he, you know, breaks the troopers arms and smashes him into the speeder bike and everything. Um, and then he rescues the child and rides off into town on the bike. Um, which then that's how they get out of the situation is, uh, I was like, oh, okay. IG11 just walking in by himself. I didn't think was going to work, but riding in on a speeder bike, that's maybe a, a different scenario, especially you see him just riding in guns blazing. He's got a blaster in each hand. He's got the child, you know, protected on his back and he's just flying through, through the streets, taking out troopers left and right. And it was just one of those like ridiculous over the top things that was just so fun and so cool to watch. Um, and then he flies into the center of town, jumps off the bike. It goes flying, makes a big explosion. And the Mando and uh, Cara Dune and uh, Grief Karga take the opportunity to get out of the bar that they're trapped in. And they go out and start blasting and, you know, just have this big shootout. And it's awesome. And there's some character stuff that happens before that, too, that I'll go back and talk about. But um, first, just wanted to talk about that action scene to kick it off and the big blaster shootout and everything it was really cool. Um and, Tim, I'm sure you were probably happy with this, because even though the good guys win, of course, um, the Death Troopers did get some licks in. Like, oh, yes, uh, they did. <laughs> you know, the Mando goes toe-to-toe with a couple of them, and, you know, he gets kicked to the curb a couple times. So it was a lot of fun to watch.
2: Yeah, this whole action sequence was fantastic. And, you know, kicking it off, the episode was a lighthearted moment with those two scout troopers. It was funny, something that... Lighthearted? As... Well...
0: They punched baby Yoda. (laughs) They were
2: making light of it though. They were like, like, there's no big deal. But that's what worked about it so much.
0: Yeah. Because
2: you, like you hated seeing that and you wanted to see those stormtroopers or those scout troopers get what's coming to them when you knew that was going to happen. But at the same time, the fact that they were playing it off as, as a comedic moment, just the way they were talking with each other, it, it felt like it shouldn't have worked, but it did work because it was a part of me that it almost felt like I was watching a fan film, like troops or something. Mm Mm-hmm where the way they were talking to each other, their dialogue felt like something you wouldn't see in a Star Wars project, but yet it felt natural for these scout troopers to be talking like that for whatever reason. I think it's because, too, the, the Empire is not in power anymore. It's probably a little more laid back because they don't know, you know really what to expect with the chain of command, and they're just kind of going about their business and trying to make the best of this weird situation for them. So all that, it just worked really well for a comedic moment but yet at the same time you're really hating those scout troopers for what they're doing to baby yoda and to top it all off from the last episode that the fact that they killed quill and it was satisfying when you saw ig11 just come out and just wreck them both of them so that was a great way to kick off the episode in a different way but man that action sequence and that shootout it was fantastic because you're right, Kyle. Words something like an impossible situation for them to get out of, or what's gonna come and rescue them and get out of the situation. Because it would have took something like the Mandalorians or uh, the long shot of the new republic showing up. But when you think about it, the way that I think it's so awesome is that we got a great action sequence, but they really didn't get out of it. They had to retreat and go back into the cantina that they were hiding out in. That's we true. got this great we got this great shootout, and it was a very entertaining and very cool. You hinted at that small bit of Death Trooper action we got was amazing. I think I tweeted it out saying the coolest eight minute or eight seconds of Star Wars action you're going to see because the Death Troopers going toe to toe with the Mandalorian. Two of the coolest looking Star Wars costumes you're going to see in this brawl that they're having was so great. Man, I was geeking out so much at that because the Death Troopers really got the best of them there. Um, They took the Mandalorian out. The only thing that separated them was they didn't have best car armor. So when grief Cargo shot him, wasn't able to withstand the blast as the Mandalorian could have, but man, it was just a great little scuffle that they had with which the death trooper fanboy in me was loving every seconds of it, even though it was only just eight seconds, but it was just so entertaining all the way around characters getting some moments to shine from the hero side. And then even on the bad guy side with the death troopers for me. So just a lot of cool stuff. But at the same time, they didn't win. They had to retreat and find another way to get out of that situation, which just showed how dire and just kind of realistic it was. Where they just all, where there's only four characters there to take out this, you know, squadron of troopers that they were going up against. Especially when you had some of the Dutch Troopers there and later on a Flame Trooper. So the odds were stacked against them. I like that they had to find another way to get out of that situation. But yeah, we got an amazing action sequence still with our heroes not coming out of it, but looking for a different way. But just all, all the way around, just a great... I'm not sure how long that whole opening was, but it was just a great start to this ep- episode, which was going to end the season on, and more great stuff was going to come. So, yeah, it was just really, really cool to see.
1: Yeah, well, I, and going back, to because, I mean, this was... All the stuff that we're up to right now is probably the first half or so of the episode, because before this whole shootout starts... There's also uh, the scene with Moff Gideon where he's kind of giving his demands and reveals that he he's kind of like Thrawn in a way where he clearly has studied his enemies and knows a lot of their history and stuff. And um, he's got his stormtroopers come and construct like the E-Web turret, which also I thought was really cool. I thought it was a little on the nose that he was so direct about it. He's like, this is an E-Web heavy blaster turret. Um, But it was also a cool little Easter egg for those of us uh, who have seen those in video games and stuff like that before. Um, But he's like, if you're unfamiliar with this weapon, I suggest you uh, ask Kara Cynthia Dune of Alderaan, who... Uh, you know, saw several of her comrades vaporized by this weapon during the Galactic Civil War. Um, or maybe you should ask the disgraced Mandalorian recruit Din Djarin, who, you know, saw thousands of Mandalorian recruits laid waste to this weapon uh, during the Siege of Mandalore in the Night of a Thousand Tears, which I'll stop on that for a second, because we know that there was some kind of purge of the Mandalorians by the Empire that the show has talked about a lot. And that's why the Mandalorians are in hiding now, and there hasn't been, uh, you know, there, there aren't a lot of them left. It seems like uh, wherever we left off in Rebels, where bo was kind of uniting the clans and they were going to help fight the Empire, it seems like that didn't go well for them. But he specifically mentions the Siege of Mandalore, which we know is in the Clone Wars. And so I wonder if that was intentional, and we're also going to see some of this play out in these final episodes of Clone Wars, or... I've. You know, it it almost seems like that maybe was a mistake because I at first assumed that he was talking about whatever happened with the Empire, unless this is just another Siege of Mandalore. Um, But I also couldn't help but wonder if that was an intentional thing. You know, again, knowing how closely Dave Filoni works on this show, um, if that's something that we're going to see in the Clone Wars. Um, But then he also revealed that Grief Karga is like a disgraced uh, magistrate or something like that. Um, And so it was cool to finally get some more backstory on all of our main characters. And it kind of came off as like, I don't know, it it was done really well because it was a lot of exposition. And you have a bad guy just standing there monologuing. But him giving you this information also served to sort of further him as a villain and prove that he knows things about all of these characters that like our heroes don't even know about each other. Um, And they're kind of looking at each other like, wait, oh, what? you? you know, I'm hearing this for the first time from him. Like they don't even know each other that well yet. And yet he's got all of them down to a T. Um, and then that's when grief Karga um, turns to Mando or, you know, Din Djarin as we know him now. And he's like, uh, wait, you, you know, this is him finding out for the first time that he wasn't actually born on Mandalore, that he was, you know, a foundling or that he was recruited into their ranks or something. Um, and he's like, wait, aren't you, you know, you're a Mandalorian. I thought you had to be born on Mandalore. And that's when he says, uh, you know, a Mandalorian isn't a race, it's a creed. And we see the final flashback um, that fleshes out his backstory. And we see, because the last time we had seen, like his parents put him in that bunker as their village was getting attacked by super battle droids. Um, And then like a bomb goes off and kills his parents. And then a super battle droid opens the bunker that he's hiding in and is just standing there with his blasters pointed over him. And I think we hadn't seen any of that flashback since like episode three. And back then I was kind of hoping that maybe we'd get a cameo from like Anakin or Ahsoka or somebody like that. Um, but since then, I mean, he had kind of, we'd gotten a little snippets of his backstory and dialogue where he talks about how the Mandalorians rescued him as a child and brought him in and stuff. And so by that point I was like, Oh, okay. So it's probably just going to be Mandalorians yeah, um, that, we're, that we're going to see take
2: out that, that battle droid, but uh, that's exactly what we I got. I let go of my Yoda theory that he was going to be the one to save him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's so
1: by that point I wasn't expecting a Jedi to to show up. I pretty much knew what we were going to get, but still just seeing, more surprise live action mandalorians (laughs) fly in on jetpacks and seeing mandalorians taking out super battle droids not to mention the fact that it was death watch yeah um so good was a really cool reveal and i kind of have to wonder because obviously the first time you see death watch in the clone wars they're working with dooku and the separatists and so i'm wondering if whenever this scene is taking place if it's towards the end of the Clone Wars and if these guys are part of bo faction that has split off from uh, Darth Maul and his guys that are controlling uh, Mandalore. Um, and maybe even the time that Ahsoka is teaming up with them. And I wouldn't expect that we're actually going to see that play out in Clone Wars, although it would be really cool if we even heard like a reference to it or something like that. Um, but it again, it was just... Even just a small little detail like seeing that Death Watch logo on their shoulder, uh, you know, armor um, was just really cool to see. And uh, yeah, just seeing more more of these scenes with armies of Mandalorians flying around and taking on super battle droids was super cool. Um, and to get that along with getting all this backstory about our main characters was uh, just some great
2: storytelling. Oh yeah, that flashback sequence was so cool. Like you said, we knew it was going to be Mandalorian's The Rescue, but the fact that it was Death Watch, it just, that blew me away. And just the implications that that can have as far as, you know, making the connections to characters we already know from Clone Wars. And now that Din Djarin can fit into that and speculating as far as whose faction that actually is, is it still pre-Vizsla in charge? Kind of around the same time as season four with that episode with a friend in need where Ahsoka... Um, goes up with with, uh, Pre Previsla and his clan um, with, I'm blanking on his name now, but um, her potential love interest. Yeah, Lux Bonteri. Lux, that's what it is. Okay. Like, was it in that time period where they were kind of going around different planets in the galaxy, looting Duco and just waiting for the right time to exact the revenge against them? And yet they come across this planet that was under attack and helped the locals that were there. Because I still think that even though the Death Watch... They are kind of recognized as a terrorist group, especially amongst the pacifist Mandalore. They view themselves as a warrior Mandalorian race that is, there, in their eyes, noble and would do the right thing to help people that are under tyranny or siege. And that was even part of their plan in the mall episodes, where they were to liberate Mandalore from the Black Sun, the criminal organizations that was oppressing the people in Mandalore, and they were going to be the saviors and liberators. So in their mind, that's how they view themselves, and it would be kind of cool if this still is under the watch of Pre Vizsla that they were putting that ideal into motion here with this planet that was siege by the battle droids, and plus kind of taking, giving Dooku a blow as well after he betrayed them. So there's a lot of cool, impl- impl- if, uh, <laughs> if I could talk without being too excited about it, but implications that this could have with tying in Din Djarin with the Death Watch and what we know about them in Clone Wars. So just a lot of cool stuff in that flashback.
0: Yeah, I think that this... I was a little surprised because we all anticipated... I'd say most of us anticipated that it would be a Jedi, potentially Yoda, or I, I predicted Ahsoka. Some people, some people predicted it was going to be... Uh, you know, we didn't know who it was going to be. And I think that the Death Watch was very much a surprise because we didn't know how we knew the Mandalorians were going to play somewhere in there in his backstory. Cause he, he, he becomes Mandalorian. And I think that it was interesting that that was the way they went. And it was very cool. And I, I want to paint this picture for you guys for a second. And I think this is what's really interesting. Think back about what, six years ago, maybe seven years ago, let's say six, seven years ago. And if I would have told you guys, we're going to get a show called The Mandalorian. And in the last episode, it's revealed that the reason why this guy wears Mandalorian armor is because he was saved and adopted by a Mandalorian warrior race of Death Watch from the Clone Wars cartoon. If I would have told you that, I don't think you'd believe me, one. And if you did, you'd lose your mind. And you'd be like, what? I can't believe that. That's insane. And we would be just tickled pink over the fact that the animated show is getting live action treatment and not to where it's here's the live action version, but it's actually playing the it's essentially the same thing, same continuity. It's just right. It's not, it's not like trying to be a different its own thing. It's, it's the same continuity, same thing, same everything like we always wanted it to be. It's it's hard to think about and imagine that right now. It's it, it really is, and I think that seeing the the cross pollination between the the show, the cart, the animated shows, and the live action that we're getting now, even Ahsoka in in uh, in, in Rise of Skywalker, we'll say in Canon and Rise of Skywalker, that's really cool. They added that stuff in, and I think that the Death Watch showing up was just a real, uh, to be honest, fan service moment. Again, talk about fan service, right? I mean, that is strictly for the hardcore fans. Mm -hmm. We know it's Death Watch.
1: Yeah, but again, it makes perfect sense for him to be rescued by Mandalorians. That's already been established in the show, and the fact that it's Death Watch is just a cool little Easter egg for those of us that have been following all these stories.
0: It remains to be seen that if he's, what Death Watch faction he's a part of, et cetera, et cetera, and it may play a bigger part, but if it doesn't, and it just happens to be Death Watch, that's fine. Mm-hmm. That is perfect. And I think that's what was so surprising to me. I try to stay off the internet. I try to stay off the internet as much as possible uh, post the, when these shows drop. And I, I've been pretty good for the most part, but I almost got spoiled on this one. Someone posted a death watch image and I just kind of, I did that thing where I'm like, ah, crap, I got to stay off the Twitter. I keep forgetting because this rise of Skywalker had me on cloud nine. So I was kept reading people's responses about that at the time. And I saw that and I'm like, oh man, I forgot. Ah. And so, I'm thinking, okay, maybe maybe that's who shows up at the very end of the episode to help Baby Yoda help the Mandalorian get him out of that spot. So I kind of thought that, and then I just forgot I forgot about them in general. So when that reveal happened, it was a surprise again. I'm Like, oh yeah, I forgot. I that. Again, if you don't make things a big deal when you, when they're and uh, just try to forget about it, and most of the time it does. I didn't even remember it at all. It was great. So that was a great reveal. And. I got to say, I want to talk about this on the last episode, Tim, but before I, but I got bogged down with my work. One of the things that I thought was interesting, you, you already talked a little bit about it, Kyle, is that when the Mandalorian uh, or Din Duran, or is, is that his name? How do you say his name? Djarin. Din Jaren. Yeah. yeah. So when Din Jaren says, I'm not sure I'm ever going to call him that. It's always going to be the Mandalorian. Sorry. Um, I know what you mean. <laughs> the man, when the Mandalorian says, it's, it's not, it's a creed. You know, it's not something you're. You're not born. You're not Mandalorian by blood. You're. It's a creed that you're. You're. Adapt, you know, adopted into. And what I love about that is that it kind of reminds me of the Legends material. And again, I'm not a Legends, you know, expert by any means. But what I, if I remember correctly, it was definitely not a race. It was definitely a group of people. If that makes sense. Like it's a. It's a, you know, a, a group of people that is is a warrior way than it is a blood thing. And that was something that was changed by George Lucas more than anything, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken.
1: Yeah, no, this and is I... definitely taking it more back to where it was in the EU before Clone Wars kind of changed things.
0: Now, and the reason why I bring all that up is because I'm obsessed with special features for things. I love them. I love watching behind the scenes stuff. I've been it's been I've been like that since I was a kid. I've, that's why the the birth of DVD and everything. I just will eat that stuff up. Commentaries, behind the scenes, featurettes, et cetera, et cetera. Give it to me. And the first I'd say three, four I'd say four years of special features on the the Clone Wars are just phenomenal. They are they are worth the, the price to buy the physical media for those things. Now I'm not sure if they're on uh, Disney Plus. I'm assuming not. No, but they not. are. But you let me tell you, you want to find those just for that alone. They are phenomenal. And if you, I've I've watched those Mandalorian uh, special features numerous times for from the Mandalorian episodes in season two, and I'll never forget Dave Filoni when they talk about it, and he when George says we're gonna go to Mandalore, and Dave Filoni goes, let me show you this, and so. And so he, he, Dave even recounts, basically, that's what happened. George said, we're going go to Mandalore. And he's like, well, let me show you this. And so he shows him all this stuff and he's like, yeah, we're not doing that. And, it's, <laughs> and so, and I remember, I'll never forget that Dave, you could tell Dave was like really apprehensive to go against what the EU had established for Mandalorians because he knew because he's a fan, and I think that's why we all trust—not all, because there's some people that surprises me even to this day that don't trust Dave Filoni or don't like, they will always trust his story decisions. But Dave Filoni knew that was a very hot button topic, and you could tell if you rewatch those episodes or that if you have those deep Blu-rays. I recommend go in there after this episode, done uh, listening to us. Go watch it. And look, watch Dave Filoni talk about Mandalore and how much he knows, like, we got to get this right. And not just in a way that it's get it right in a sense to where it's, you know, oh, we got to make sure people, you know, respect it. But he knew what came before and how much of a big deal it was. So, with all that being said, uh, if you watch those episodes, you'll see him just be really nervous and talk about, tell George, you got to know what came before and George is kind of trample it over. And you got to tell that Dave Filoni basically wanted people to know it was not him that did that basically, you know, trample over the EU. So I think that what is a long winded way of saying, this is exactly what Dave, I think probably wanted to do, but he couldn't do it because George was like, no, we're not gonna do it that way. We're doing it my way. And again, I, I don't, and I don't think Dave wanted to like, at that point was comfortable enough with George to say, push back a little bit. And now that he's in charge of Star Wars or, or in storytelling in this way, and that he pretty much can alter the man, Mando culture as much as he wants, him and jo- him and John Favreau are kind of altering it. And I love the idea of both those ideas coexisting. Mm-hmm. And that's well, what this episode does.
1: And especially that this is in a new time period when obviously the Mandalorians have been through a lot and there's not a lot of them left after whatever it is that's happened to them. It makes sense that they would kind of
2: exactly. shift their
1: focus um exactly. and, and be open to, you know, different ways. Um, so, yeah, all that stuff is great. And I mean, we knew from the beginning with the show being about a Mandalorian that we might get some additional Mandalorian lore and culture and history and stuff. But um, we've gotten a lot. And I think it's, you know, it's been some really great uh, just expansion of the mythology and especially in this last episode here. Um, was uh, just really cool to get some of those tidbits, especially when then they go to see the Armorer. Um, so they're, you know, they're, they're still stuck in the cantina after their big shootout, they retreat back in there. Oh, first of all, this is when uh, we see Mando's face for the first time because he gets hurt in an explosion outside. Uh, and um, IG-11 cuts through this grate, and everybody else goes and escapes after Baby Yoda stops a flametrooper's fire dead in its tracks and shoots it back (laughs) at him and blows him up. Uh, That was crazy. I mean, just so many cool moments in this episode. And then, uh, you know, Mando basically is bleeding out, won't let anybody take his helmet off to inspect his wound because, of course, this is the way, and he can't let anybody see his face. And so Grief Karga and Cara Dune, they go and escape. And uh, IG-11 stays behind with Mando and goes to take his helmet off. And Mando points the gun at him again like he did in episode one. And he's like, I'll kill you if you try it. And he says, like, no living thing has seen my face since I was a child. And uh, IG-11 just goes, I'm no living thing. And takes the helmet right off. And there we see Pedro Pascal's face. And IG-11 sprays some bacta on him and patches him right up. Um, And it was kind of a... I don't know, it was funny, this also felt like a very Taika Waititi moment, like, I wasn't expecting, like, I wasn't sure how I expected them to sort of resolve that, but the fact that he just so nonchalantly was just like, I'm not a living thing, and takes the helmet off, and Din Djarin's just kind of sitting there like, oh yeah, I guess I didn't really think about that, like, it was kind of funny, and also, you know, cool to uh, see his face for the first time, and to have a mutual respect between these two characters, because, Um, you know, obviously we know that he has a well-earned distrust of droids. I mean, especially when you see all these flashbacks with him as a kid, um, when your parents get killed by super battle droids, of course, you're not going to trust droids for the rest of your life, but, um, he finally comes to trust and respect IG-11. And so that was a cool moment. Um, but then they go down. I
2: was just going to say, I was surprised that we did see his face this soon because I was actually under the impression that we'd go the whole series without (laughs) see him revealing his face. And that would be the big final. I'm glad we didn't do
0: that. I think this is, it it works out better this way to have it only take off his helmet when it actually means something for story wise. In my Mm. opinion.
2: Yeah, definitely played out really well. Like you said, Kyle, it was just a great bonding moment and him earning that trust and respect for IG 11 and which made the upcoming sequence a little more impactful between Mando and IG 11. Yeah. So yeah, it was a great that it happened here. I was just surprised. Yeah, I was. I was surprised too. I kind of
1: wasn't ex. I I wasn't wasn't expecting it. Like I wasn't expecting it in that moment until you know. Of course, they're like, oh, he's injured and he's got to take it off. Like I wasn't necessarily expecting going in that we would see it. Um, but I kind of figured we had to at some point. Um, but yeah, I think it's obviously something that they're going to use very sparingly. And now that we've seen his face once, who knows, maybe we'll never see him with his helmet off again. But I think for for certain audience members, I'm sure some people, um, especially general audience members who maybe didn't know who Pedro Pascal is or what he looks like, you know, wanted to have that that itch scratch. So mm-hmm. um, but I thought it worked well. But then they go down into the sewers. You know, he says we have to. uh You know, find the Mandalorians and they'll help us, which was a little surprising to me. Like, I don't know if I would quite consider this a plot hole, but like when they came to save him last time and he said, like, oh, now you're going to have to relocate. Like, I was like, wait, so why are you looking for them in the sewers? Like, wouldn't you have expected that they relocated somewhere? But I don't know. Maybe he just thought they were in a different part of the sewers or maybe he was like, well, let's hope and see if they're still there. Um, You know, that's kind of like the last place he has to turn to.
0: Um, I think that's what it was, Cal. Honestly, I think that he just wanted to see if, if anyone was still there. Maybe there were some you know, stragglers or whatever, because at that time they destroyed all the bounty hunters, but maybe they could still overpower the bounty hunters and, and stay around a while because they're not just going to send random people to fight a bunch of army of Mandalorians. So I think he expected something to be there, but I don't think he expected to see what he saw.
1: Exactly. Cause, yeah, because then they get there and there's just a pile of of cracked and and burnt and shot up Mandalorian armor um, and you find out so the armorer is still there she's like the only one left and you find out there was a big battle that basically right after they helped him escape the Empire showed up you know before they had time to relocate and basically wipe them out um, which again so like that part makes sense as to why they didn't relocate but it's like he I was just a little confused it's like well he would have thought they relocated though right so um I don't know that was a minor thing but um obviously it was very you know kind of shocking to get there and find just all this discarded armor Um and on like a second viewing like I said you can clearly see that some of them like the visors are cracked and there's blaster burns and stuff and so it's not like just discarded armor it's like no the Empire showed up and wiped these guys out um, but the armor is still there, you know, and she's like, I'm gonna sort through the wreckage and, and basically clean up this mess. And she doesn't want to leave. She, it's almost like a captain going down with the ship. Um, you know, she's like, these are my people. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay here and, and take care of this. But she melts down some of the armor. Um, and... Makes a signet for the Mandalorian. You know, she said before that she was going to give him the signet of the Mudhorn, and and uh, he thought he didn't deserve it. But now that he's returned with the child, and you know they've been together for so long, she's like, no, now you're a clan of two. Um, she gives him the signet, you know, of the Mudhorn, puts it on his armor, um, and basically says, you know, now like by the cultures of our of our tradition, like he's part of your clan now, and until he comes of age or you return him to his own people, uh, you're basically act as his father, Um, which was nice because, you know, everybody talks about how like Mando is basically like a dad and, you know, they've developed sort of this father son relationship over the course of the series anyway. So now it's just kind of solidifying that, Um, It was also cool. We got, you know, just a brief tidbit of some more lore building here where uh, he talks about the baby being able to like move objects with its mind and the armor is like, oh, I've heard of this like in, you know, there's songs told from bygone ages where our ancestors fought against the I forget what she calls them, like wizards or sages or something called – or sorcerers. Wizards, yeah, yeah sorcerers, or those, you're right. sorcerers. A race of enemy sorcerers called Jedi who could move objects with their minds. Um, and so again, like alluding to some of the past conflicts between the Mandalorians and the Jedi that we've heard about from rebels and that we know exists in the EU in uh, the Old Republic era and stuff like that. So you know I love any of that kind of stuff. But I also – one thing I really love about this show is seeing the perspective of people who have like never heard of the Jedi or think that they are these ancient legends, like even people who've lived during the time period of the Jedi, like people in the galaxy at large don't really know much about them or their culture. And that's something that's been explored in the EU before and like has been touched on in books and stuff, but it's kind of hard to get that um, perspective from the movies because all the movies are so focused on like main Jedi characters Um, And so I think it's just really cool to hear, you know, even this wise, you know, Mandalorian um, armorer who clearly like knows all these old tales and legends and stuff is like, oh, you know, legend tells of a race of enemy sorcerers called the Jedi. It's like, yeah, like just a few years ago, there were thousands of them running around fighting in the Clone Wars. But, you know, it's a big galaxy and like not everybody has met them or heard of them. So I think it's just really cool to see that perspective.
0: And also consider, too, that not everyone maybe has maybe the mass media isn't exactly a galaxy thing, but a world thing. So Mm -hmm. maybe the inner worlds have a more acceptable media form of the hollow net or whatever. We don't know the significance of what exactly every planet and people who grew up on those planets, just like in our own, in our own world, right. That there's third world countries that don't have any computers or, access the internet and don't know anything about they wouldn't know anything about these great peacekeepers potentially. Right. I mean, we just don't know. So think of it like that, that there's different cultures instead of different cultures, it's different planets have within cultures, within cultures, et cetera, et cetera. It's it, it, you would almost understand that where the inner planets may all be connected. And and those people might know who Jedi are, but as you go further out, the more they become legend and, as, so you just kind of add on top of it and in the inner, you know, intertwining of everything, you could understand where a lot of these people may have never heard of it. So the fact that what Palpatine does in the Skywalker saga is how successful he is in destroying the ideals and the idea of the Jedi even getting out there would make sense, especially if they just wipe him out completely almost. So mm-hmm. it to me, it's, it's really cool what, you, like you said, and the Mandalorian has done anything Along with Rebels and things like that and Clone Wars. But I'd say Mandalorian, Mandalorian has done a great job of acknowledging the Jedi, but also trying to tell the audience they're not exactly as well-known as you think they are.
1: Exactly. And
2: that's what I love about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, but... and I was just going to say, kind of moving a little head for what she says about what he needs to do with Baby Yoda. And to me, this is where the series is going to go into a whole new direction that I wasn't expecting it to go but I couldn't be more excited for that because <laughs> as Amen. I was talking as I was talking about in the beginning of or I should say the end of episode 7 how how's it going to wrap all these story threads up in this one episode it's like they're not they're going to continue it and that's the beauty of Star Wars on TV now or live action Star Wars on TV things that don't get resolved right away you know they're going to pick up on them in future episodes and future seasons down the line and, man, if you were to tell me before we saw the first episode of The Mandalorian that the direction it would go is the Mandalorian taking a baby of the same species as Yoda and trying to find his people in his home world, I was like, that sounds crazy, but it sounds so awesome. And it just makes this show more exciting for its potential. And the fact that even though I was expecting this Baby Yoda story arc to be resolved this season, the fact that it's going to continue and could be the thrust of what this whole series is about like yeah i'm all on board for that i just can't wait to see it continue because it was such a great dynamic this first season and the fact that i think it's gonna their bond is gonna grow even stronger in seasons to come and episodes and stories that we're gonna see down the line it's just makes it so exciting and that third goal or his goal i should say is to deliver him back to his people and. Kind of gives me that hope that I felt all along when Baby Yoda was first introduced that we will learn more about Yoda's species and their home world. And the fact that they're implying that in this episode is for things to come. Man, I'm just going to be more excited about that. So that was just another great thing about this episode. And just this sequence here in the Mandalorian enclave with the armorer, this hers telling him what he needs to do to kind of fulfill his role and for what their Mandalorian creed and culture requires of him to do. Um. Now that he has a foundling, they're a clan of two now. And because mm-hmm. why we? I don't think she said they could be taught in the ways of the Mandalorian, but that's kind of hard to do now. And so I wouldn't expect to see baby Yoda in Mandalorian armor. <laughs> be well, especially because he's 50
1: years old and still a baby. Like by the time he's old enough to wear armor and fight,
2: you know, Din Jarrin's going to be an old man. Yeah, as awesome as it would be to see Baby Yoda and Mandalorian Artem, but <laughs> the fact that their goal now is to try to find his home world, that just sounds so amazing to me. And I just can't wait to see more stories of that play out. So it was just a great moment and just a great new direction that the series was going to go into now that I was not expecting. Well, and the, one, the,
1: the one cavi- the one caveat to that, though. Um, You know, th- there's a great line that she says to him where he's like, uh, wait, so you expect me to raise this child and travel across the galaxy to deliver it to a race of enemy sorcerers who are ancient enemies of the Mandalorians? And she just looks at him and says, this is the way. Um, yeah, so it's
2: not going to be an easy thing. Well, <laughs> he's-
1: yeah, it's, it's not going to be an easy thing. But also the way that he sort of phrases that when he's because ta- she was referring to the Jedi as the race of enemy sorcerers. So it's a little unclear. Is he going to try to find the home world of the Yoda species and return the child to them? Or is, is he going to try to return them to the Jedi where we could maybe see him interact mm. with Ahsoka or with Luke Skywalker? Mm. And I think either of those possibilities are equally exciting. That's well, a I,
2: great point too, because I I never really took it that way, but you're right. They did. She really did emphasize the Jedi on that. But at the same time we've heard, I've heard like John Favreau say we are going to learn more about the species of Yoda and, I forget if you said Homeworld, I just know we're going to learn more about, about him, where he comes from. Yeah, so and I think it was even be...
1: Bob Iger who said that we're going to find out the child's name at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, again, maybe he'll run into Luke Skywalker, who's been doing some digging and learn more information about Yoda species. So, you know, there's different ways they could go with it. But like I said, I think it's exciting possibilities, regardless of which way they go with it.
0: I think that when I heard that line, I kind of read it as both to be honest. I think that that's kind of where it, it, I think he's going to do both. I think he's going to try to find the species one, but I also think he's probably going to be also on the lookout for anything in in any sorcerer ways, if Mm -hmm. you will. Mm -hmm. And I think that he's just going to kind of figure out where he needs to go by just what feels right to him. And I think that the way she even says it, it implies both, in my opinion. I, I took it as both, and I kind of think that's what John Favreau is trying to say. Because, like I said, he's not being delivered to Luke. There's no way. There's no way he's being delivered to Luke. And I think, in my opinion, the reason why is because we know Ahsoka's out there. My money's still on Ahsoka. I well, think... there
1: were rumors, and, uh, you know, again, from people with quote unquote sources close to the production or whatever. Like after the finale, I heard some rumors that like season two was going to involve more characters from the Skywalker saga. Um, so I, like, I didn't automatically assume that to mean Luke, but I think that could be a possibility on the table.
0: Yeah. The reason why I don't think that is because, because of what happens with Luke, I don't think you tie that, that a character like that with Luke, if you know Mm -hmm. the end, the end result. And, with the fact that Ahsoka's out there and Dave Filoni is heavily involved in the show and Ahsoka is basically this kind I, I, I hate saying this, but I'm going to say it, a gray Jedi. I hate saying mm-hmm. that but that's kind of what she is at this point. And, or something like that. I think it makes a lot of sense because it takes it away from Luke. It keeps Luke kind of away. The Skywalker is essentially a, distant somewhat from the Mandalorian. You don't have to tie it in at all. And it gives Dave Filoni reason to put Ahsoka into the show and go from there. And I think that, and I think it also makes sense because it's a different Jedi and you can, you can do, you can do, you don't have to tie it in the Skywalker saga at all and have it be tied to the first order. It can be its own thing completely. And you could eventually maybe with episode 10 baby Yoda and that whole in <laughs> and, and Ray Skywalker and all that stuff come back. And we just don't know, but I, it, it leaves a door open for those characters that return in some capacity anyway. So, yeah. No, they, yeah they, Dave really, Filoni
1: definitely left the door cracked open for Ahsoka in live action with that. But we'll see. Do you think see. that the,
0: the Right, but really quickly, do you guys think this was the always the original intent of the show was to have him looking for Yoda's species and a and or a Jedi to train him?
2: I think so now, because I think there was the show was well into production and the scripts were written to see how popular Baby Yoda would be and then to kind of switch gears and cater to the course of the series to focus on him. I just think it was originally their plan that they were going to go with and we just didn't know about it. And just going back to real quick what you were saying about impossibility looking for the Jedi and versus him looking for Yoda's species, I do agree that now that I'm thinking about it more and hearing you guys talk about it, how it could be a combination of both because for all we know or for all Din knows, the Jedi are nothing but Yoda's species to him because mm-hmm. this is his only encounter with someone who knows how to use the Force. So he could potentially be looking for his species' homeworld and maybe comes to find out that it's impossible to find. And it's just one of the great mysteries of the galaxy. And that's what turns them into learning more about the Jedi and possibly that's running exciting. into Ahsoka.
0: Because if he, if he's, uh, if half the uh, show is him looking for basically Yoda species, but realizing like, I can't find anything about mm-hmm. this, this species. And he kind of, but again, you killed her two birds with one stone. He it's like, in the meantime, he might uncover some things, but not yeah. everything. Mm-hmm. Right. So that, that to me seems like a, like a win-win situation. And then, yeah. then you say, Oh, we got to find it. I got to find a Jedi, not a species, but I kind of feel that we're going to get that too. So yeah, I I'm, I'm excited.
1: Yeah. And I, I mean, I like, like you said, Tim, they had so much that they could have tried to wrap up in this episode. And I feel like they wrapped up just enough while also leaving, like it didn't even introduce a whole lot to like tease season two. But like, I think this was kind of the big scene in establishing like, Oh, this is where we're going from here and leaving that mystery unresolved, but kind of propelling it forward to be like, okay, this is going to be the main thrust of the story in season two. And I also don't think that every episode of season two is going to be, uh, you know, them just planet hopping, looking for Yoda people. Like, I think there's still going to be plenty of, of din, and bounty hunting in the meantime and having to take on jobs to feed the child and pay for fuel and all that kind of stuff. So, I think the core of the show is going to be, you know, pretty much the same as it was in the first season, but just pushing the story in a different direction. Um, I got to kind of wrap up soon, so I'm going to fly through the rest of the story a little bit here and then, you know, we can cu- talk about the the standout bits. But um, so they leave the armor. She also gives Din Djarin a jetpack for the first time, uh, which she calls like the Rising Phoenix, which I love how the Mandalorians have these cool names for stuff like the Rising Phoenix and the Whistling Birds and all that um but they leave her a bunch of stormtroopers come in and she just goes hammer time on them and smacks them all around <laughs> and that was awesome um then you know they escape out the sewers on this barge that's floating down a lava river there's some stormtroopers waiting for him at the mouth of the cave uh so IG11 sacrifices himself and again kind of pulling it back full circle to uh the first season where the or the first episode where there was that running gag where he wanted to self-destruct every time he was in trouble um and he says, like, you know, I, I can't calculate a scenario where I like we protect the child successfully and I survive, so he's willing to sacrifice himself for the rest of the group, and he goes ahead of them out the mouth of the cave and self-destructs and blows up all the stormtroopers. Um, So the rest of them float out on their little lava barge. All the stormtroopers are dead. But then Moff Gideon comes around on his TIE fighter, um, starts shooting at them. And this is where uh, Grief Cargo one ups the line, he's going to eat me line from the last episode. (laughs) This is probably the funniest episode of the whole series, where after seeing Baby Yoda do the thing with the flamethrower, you know, they're like, "Oh, how are we going to take down this Tie Fighter?" And he goes, "Make the baby do the magic hand thing." And he like waves at Baby Yoda and goes, "Do the magic hand thing, baby!" And Baby Yoda just waves back at him, and it's super cute and hilarious. There's um, <laughs> a lot of ideas. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And then, the, so the Tie Fighter comes flying at him. Mando uses his jetpack, takes off. <clears throat> um, and I was surprised that we saw this scene in the like the trailer before the season started, and that we were getting stuff all the way up to. Uh, this episode in the trailers, but um, this is where you know he shoots the grappling hook at the Tie Fighter and uses his jetpack to propel himself up onto it, and then slaps a thermal detonator on it, and it you know blows the wing, and the Tie Fighter crashes, and he flies back down with the jetpack, and um, so the group is safe. They get away with Baby Yoda. He says his goodbyes to Grief and Kara Dune. Um, you know, even though Grief is like, "Hey, you'd be welcome back into the Bounty Hunters Guild," and Kara decides to stay with him for a while. Um, but, uh, Mando says, no, he's got to go off on his own. He buries Queel. He takes off in the ship with baby Yoda and you think, oh, that's a nice, happy ending. But I figured I was like, they have to still have some kind of tease at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, especially cause we still never found out who that one mysterious character was at the end of season five, who walked up to, uh, <laughs> we don't know that though. And I, I, I thought that was going to be revealed at the end of this episode. So that was the thing that I was waiting for, was who that mystery character from the end of Season 5 was. Um, but Mando takes off into the sunset, and the camera pans down to, uh, to the crashed TIE fighter of Moff Gideon. And some Jawas are going up to it and starting to pick it apart already. And then you see, uh, you know, just like a, a glow appear on it, like he's, he's cutting his way out of it. Which, at first... So, first glance... Right. You just see it start sparking and I'm thinking, oh, he's cutting his way out with like a, a cutting torch or something. And then you see this tip of a blade start coming out. And once it gets about a couple inches out and you can see that it's that black with the white glow around it, I lost my freaking mind. And I I was home for the holidays when we were watching this and I was watching it with uh, my sister and my parents and my wife. And my sister and I are huge Clone Wars fans. And so everybody else is sitting and watching going like, oh, this is cool. And my sister Kayla and I are like, we start screaming at the TV as (laughs) the Darksaber blade penetrates further out. The TIE fighter starts cutting a hole out and then Moff Gideon steps out wielding the Darksaber. And man, like, this is one thing that we had talked about back before this show like, Mandalorian things that we might see appear in the show at some point. We talked about like Bo Katan and the Darksaber and Death Watch, and like, maybe we'll see that eventually. But I was not expecting Moff Gideon to have this thing. Um, which, first of all, is bad news for the Mandalorians because, again, we know that something bad happened to him, and we know that Bo Katan was the last one to have this weapon, so uh. This was like, oh, that's not good for them. But also just seeing this thing in live action was one of the coolest surprises in Star Wars that I can remember in recent memory. Like it was just and like you were talking about earlier, Paul, with the fan service. It's like, yeah, for those of us who are Clone Wars and Rebels fans, this is a huge Easter egg fan service moment that was just super cool to see in live action. But also, if you know the history of that and you know, like sort of the history that they're hinting at in the show with the Empire and the Mandalorians and stuff like it, it makes sense for Moff Gideon to have this. So it wasn't just like, oh, hey, look at the weapon he's got from Clone Wars. It wasn't like a, a pull you out of it, wink, wink, nudge, nudge kind of thing. It was like oh, this makes a lot of sense and this bodes very poorly for the Mandalorians and it makes Moff Gideon that much more fearsome and intimidating as a villain and it's just a really cool Easter egg and I freaking loved how they ended this episode. And um, now Moff Gideon with the Darksaber is just something else that I'm really looking forward to seeing in season two.
2: Yeah, it was great and I had a similar experience watching it for the first time like you, Kyle, because I was watching it with... uh friends and family, and as soon as that Darksaber came out, I just held out, oh, man, it's the Darksaber, and only me and my brother knew what, what it was and what it represented. <laughs> and so, But still a cool moment nonetheless, and then having to explain it with my friends and family who weren't quite aware of what it meant, but, man, it was just so cool to see. And just the implications, again, that what it represents, not only in the past for what happened with Bo-Katan and the Darksaber, but what it could mean for the future of the series as well knowing that Moff Gideon has it, we're going to probably see him use it. And I've, I could be wrong, but I think all signs are pointing to that. He's going to go up against the Mandalorian with that dark saber. And I just think it's something for him that he would, for the Mandalorian as a character and his character arc to continue that, it's going to be something he's going to have to claim for Mandalore. And we're just going to be curious to see how far the series goes in establishing, I guess, the Mandalorians as, as again, not a race, but a creed, but just a group of people taking their home back and establishing themselves again. And that dark saber is probably going to play a big role in that. And I'm just excited about the possibility of seeing the Mandalorian winning that dark saber back from Moff Gideon and then seeing him use it. It could just be another very cool weapon for him to add to his arsenal in later seasons and just make the character that much even cooler. So yeah, it was just a great tease to end the season on one that I wasn't expecting again, like you, I thought they were going to go back to episode five and reveal who that mysterious character was. And I'm under the impression like you Paul, that it is Boba Fett. And I thought we were going to get that confirmed as the tease for what we can look forward to in season two. But I'm more than happy than this being the teaser that we got and what it means for the series and the history of the Mandalorians that we knew from rebels and clone wars. So just a great way on all fronts to end the season on with a great tease.
0: Yeah, this is, um, this is something that I think that the show yeah, the, the dark Sabre itself was was really rad and it, the implications, again, fan service done right. And it, it looks cool and all of us freak out and the implications that what it means is what gets us even more riled up. And I think mm-hmm. that next season, you essentially, in this episode alone, you've got two major, plot things going into it with Moff Gideon, the connections he have with the characters you have already, the fact he has a dark saber. What the heck is that? And what does that mean? All of us who are hardcore fans or fans know that it's huge. And you have that potential. Let's be real. It's but with probably in some capacity, essentially in, in that episode, there's a lot that's going to be going on and they must have this show on lockdown because it's not leaking like it did the first time. Let's be real. Mm -hmm. And, um, and if they are, they may have made a deal with these leakers, like making star Wars and saying, Hey man, don't leak this, please. Like, you know, we'll, we'll get you in some, we'll get you some other scoops. If you don't do this, maybe they're doing that. I don't know, but, or they are truly doing it more in close sets and not doing the, uh, shooting for whatever. And, so I, I, I think that this is what's really cool is that we, we know they've been filming for a while. So and we have not gotten any reports about anything. So they must have this thing on lockdown. Mm-hmm. And if Boba Fett is in the show, he either looks completely different or he uh, like I said, it's locked down, lock and key. And here's the and here's the thing to think about, people. Boba Fett has a high chance of being in the show because think of it this way. If he is in the show, you don't have to have Morrison in the suit. Mm-hmm. You just have to have Morrison voice the character. That's all you have to have him do. You don't have to have him take off his mask at all. And if you do, you, you could either fly him in for one for one day to take off his mask or you don't have him do it at all. And, he, and he, again, we never saw him take off his mask yeah. in the in the show. And the movie, you're, so. you're talking
1: as if he wouldn't want to do it, which he very well might be like, hey, I get no, to play no, Boba right. Fett again. Heck yeah.
0: Well, Right. Well, what I'm saying is you don't have to you don't have to, you know, sh- you know, put yourself in a corner either way. So I think that there's and, and again, there might be logistical reasons why they can't fly him out or and again, there's maybe not say money restrictions, but everything goes into account, right? Like there's, it's schedule wise, et cetera. It's a lot easier to schedule someone to do voice work when they get a chance opposed to coming in, shoot, shoot a couple scenes and, and write scenes with him to have his helmet off, et cetera, if you don't need to. And that's why I said it might be easier logistically wise and money wise just to say, Hey, let's put a guy in the suit and then we'll have uh, Morrison voice the character, and that way, we don't have to de-age him either. That's the big one, I think, is the is what I why I'd say you don't really want to take off his helmet, is you'd have to de-age the character. You could have him not take off the helmet, and have him, at least for the most part, and have him just voice the character, and you'd get the same effect.
2: Well, if they do then, take off the helmet, they could just have his face be all scarred up from the start. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so it's a win-win. So I feel that it's Boba Fett. I think Morrison's coming back. And the reason why they probably haven't, and this is what I'm I'm guessing as the reason why it hasn't either leaked is that they have it locked down really well, and or he looks a lot different than we're anticipating. Mm-hmm. And if we're if we're looking at the, the the literal things we got from episode five, he does probably look a lot different, especially if we're taking into account chuck wendig oh god i hate those were two words uh (laughs) chuck wendig's uh novel aftermath where they have that sheriff guy on tatooine and scarred mandalorian armor being a sheriff and we don't know what that is and who that is and i don't think you should assume that is boba fett's armor either but it definitely implies that but either way i think it's boba fett he probably looks a lot different than we're anticipating but enough to work to know it's boba fett But either way, it's going to be it's probably just the helmet. It'll probably be the helmet stay the same. But either way, it's Boba Fett. And I can't wait for them to tackle that. That's going to be a pretty intense episode.
1: Mm -hmm. I'm still holding out hope that it could be Cad Bane. But it would be cool to see Boba Fett, too. Um, But yeah, like I said, I mean, I love that this episode wrapped up so much, you know, gave us a satisfying conclusion to just them getting out of the dilemma they were in. Um, giving us more information about, you know, Moff Gideon and about our main characters and setting up new conflicts and new storylines for season two. Um, and leaving stuff like the potential Boba Fett tease, you know, some things unanswered that we still got to wait to season two to find out. But overall, I would say this was a very satisfying conclusion to the first season. Um, and overall i mean just a great season overall for the show like a a, a great first yeah. season yeah, but... um you know had it's ups and downs at some points but i would say like episodes 2 and 3 and 7 and 8 um are not only the best episodes of the show but some of the best star wars stuff that disney has put out so far um just you know some really cool action really cool characters some really cool uh fan pleasing moments um and just really great expansion of the story and the star wars mythology so Uh, Bring on Mando season two. Um, You know, definitely can't wait to see more of that this year. And I hope it's sooner than later. Uh, You know, like all we know right now is that it's fall. So I'm crossing my fingers for September. I mean, it very well could be November again. But whenever we get it, I'm excited to uh, get to see more of this.
2: Yeah. And I'm sure the season two premiere will debut at Celebration in August. Probably. Can't imagine that not happening. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Which, again, makes me hopeful that the rest of us probably won't have to wait too much longer after that to see it. Mm, Exactly. Um, But yeah. So, you know, Mandalorian's been a lot of fun and uh, is just one of the great Star Wars things that we have to look forward to coming up this year, along with Clone Wars and a lot of fun new announcements and stuff um but i think that's gonna do it for now that's just about all the stuff we've got to talk about um and we already read all the the listener comments and emails and stuff that we normally do at the end um so you know again just thanks to all you guys for continuing to listen and chiming in with your thoughts and sending us emails and all that stuff um we love hearing from you and uh can't wait to keep talking star wars with you uh for another year here in 2020 um, as always, you can follow us online at Star Wars TSC on Twitter. Uh, facebook.com/starwars the saga continues. You can check out our website at StarWarsTSC.com, and you can send us email at StarWarsTSC@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Um, and uh, you know of course be sure to check out thunderquack.com for all the other awesome podcasts in the Thunderquack podcast network. Uh, but that's going to do it for now. Thanks again for tuning in. We will see you next time and may the force be with you.
2: See you next time, everybody.
0: Godspeed, Rebels.